Are we really going right now? Yes, we're we're, do, we're we're doing a number one, and if we're not careful, it might turn into a number two. Oh, jeez. We might shit ourselves. Right. Wouldn't be the first time we Old shit the bed on the show. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> God. Guys, on Facebook Live, uh, we are on Twitch Live, and we are on our Realm of the Mist YouTube channel live. Yes, I set that one up Ooh. while I was waiting. So, guys, <laughs> welcome to Surviving the Storm with your host, hey. Mister. With your host, Mister Christopher Rudger, uh, Rudder. It's not How my show. Doing, not my show. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Dick Togo, aka um, the um, Blue Meanie, aka um, Big Dick the Destroyer. Christ, we're doing this. We're doing this there, type of shit again. Oh, Jesus, there, there, there was some new AKAs in that lineup. And Those I'm are all thinking, pro wrestlers. Just as a note. Okay, then I can enjoy, I can appreciate that. <laughs> uh, before we go too far off the rails, UA Blackwing checking in. Uh, was supposed to be doing two other podcasts in the last couple of days, but the main host of one and my co-host on the other lost his voice so that you'll, you'll get those eventually chris i promise we just need zephyr to be able to talk again wait we were supposed to do a press a gaming well we were discussing doing a press a gaming but it was all up in the air on whether or not he was able to talk and well apparently after the last after hours that went bye-bye oh that's wonderful well, just to let you guys know, I uh, shared it out to uh, to Mr. Chris Rudger's uh, page, uh, the, What's Your Effin' Bidge. I shared it out to Realm of the Mist's uh, fans of Realm of the Mist page. I've shared it out to SJ Network and Promote Your Podcast. So people can find us on any one of those. And, of course, you can find it on my page, Christopher Michael Stolle. Or you could go to YouTube uh, or Twitch or uh you know, well, what we just discussed Facebook Live. I don't know. What are we talking about today? I'm an idiot. Well, you know, uh, we've got a lot of uh, time under our belts now with uh, being in the quarantine. So I don't know if anybody's like getting into any good habits or if the habits are falling apart at the seams. Uh, Actually, um, I just you know, received. Surviving this kind of. Uh... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, bro. Oh, I was just—I I actually got a call from my job. I'm being pulled back on Monday. Oh, so you're considered essential. I'm considered outdoor. Oh, are you? you, you. Oh, okay. <laughs> they finally—they finally decided that fence installing is kind of like landscaping, and in which case we're not in any danger. So I am actually being recalled Monday. Yay! Well, that makes sense. Okay. You know. Good for you. Well, Congratulations. Good. You get to go back to work, man. That's that's cool. Well, I'm you. in the uh, bartending industry, which means I'm unemployed until all of this is over with. Uh, so, I'm in the hospitality you know. industry, so I'm in a very weird place because my employers are actually the Seneca Nation, and we don't have to abide by the rules, but we choose to. Well, again, I, you, I'm with transportation the railroad, so I'm essential. Damn right you are. Uh, it, it, you know that that was one of the things I thought we could discuss uh, was, was the the classification of essential to non-essential. 
uh, because it, it does seem very, very weird to me. Uh, like, for example, my wife works for Dollar Tree. You would not think okay. Dollar Tree is an essential thing. You know, like, I, I know they, so, they serve uh, some foods and some cleaning supplies, but they're not like a Walmart or a, or a you know, a, a chain supermarket. It, it's amazing to me that, you know, a dollar store is remaining hey, open. Are you and your wife can give me a discount. A discount at a fucking dollar store? How ghetto are you? <laughs> simple, simple. He, simple. He won't shop at the dollar store. He will shop at the 99 cent store. <laughs> you right. How much for hey, one yo, rib? <laughs> That's horrible. I'm sorry. I had to say something. Uh, I'll admit it, man. You just, you you caught me completely off guard with that. Like a, a discount at a dollar store, really? <laughs> <laughs> I need my twenty percent off, yeah. Jesus Christ! <laughs> hey, yo, we gotta laugh throughout all this shit too. We do, we do, and absolutely. And I'm gonna be nicer to Anthony because I I did I did lay into him on the last after hours, which was funny as shit, but. I know, I know, I got him a little oh, hot under the collar. <laughs> Damn it! You with that fucking topic? He always does this shit to me. Well, no, no, no. The last episode, UA, UA will will, uh, will attest to it. Last episode was supposed to be uh, uh, a celebrity style roast where you were the guest of honor. The problem is, is I'm the only one that remembered that that was supposed to happen. Yeah. And I was gonna let it go until I made that little comment just to be a dick, and you took heart to it, and I said, "Oh, I'm working this." <laughs> your, your your pro wrestling skill kicked in of being the heel of. Oh wait a minute, I just touched a nerve. Let's see how hard I can press. It. <laughs> I should have known I was working with fucking Jake the Snake here. Uh, dude, I was a master back when I was when I was a heel in pro wrestling. I was a master. I used to have to get walked out of arenas by security because people were waiting for me in the parking lot. Oh, now that's the sign of a okay, good, that's a scary good right there. worker right there. Well, one of one of the best I'm ones sorry, was a biker you're a group. Good ass heel, man. And one one of the groups so, was a, was we... a fucking uh, biker gang. <laughs> Never Ooh. piss off the bikers. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, that's a tough crowd to mix in with. So, so do we have four people on the show right now that uh, have uh, past experience in pro wrestling? Uh, no uh, experience, just an avid fan and enjoyer of. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I mean, for me, it's more of I've been a fan since '95. Um, I do. A, I've been to a lot of indie shows. I've actually never been to a WWE show though. I have, and it is unlike anything you will ever see. Indies are better. Okay. Uh, so is I, I, I would, it looks like indies are better though. I ain't going to sit here in front for what I've heard and looked at. I mean, it's just like it's too many damn people. Can't really get any intimacy with the wrestlers. Okay, so it's just the two Chris's who have actually worked as hands. Is that the deal? Wait, you you've you've worked yeah. in the indie circuit? Uh, yes, I did. What did you do? Uh, this this news. Uh, I don't know you, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, back in the uh, back in the early nineties, uh, I went through school with um, um, uh, uh, Dutch Mantel and worked in the Southern Indiana area. 
And uh, it was quickly discovered that I was not nearly as good a hand as I should have been. I was too quick to shoot on people. So I quickly uh, made the, uh, the move over to doing hook and shoots and fighting for real because uh, working in the ring, I was not nearly... I, I, I got onboarded as being one of the boys. I worked backstage a lot, did a lot of, did a lot of running and everything. I worked some matches, but uh, I was much better as a shooter uh, than I was as uh, working as a hand in the ring. But yes, I do have experience on the circuit. Nice. Did you did you yeah, get yeah. did you get far enough to get your gimmick? Like, uh, who were you? No, I didn't get a gimmick over. I had uh, seven different names given to me over the course of nine months. <laughs> um, <laughs> none, none of them flattering, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, none of them any better than the last. Uh, the best one that they were able to come up with, and this was in '94. And uh, I mean, you have to understand that. You know, I'm uh, at the time I'm like six one, two sixty, and I shaved my head bald, and this is before Stone Cold or Goldberg. Right. And my favorite, my favorite wrestler was Shawn Michaels. So my gimmick was Christopher Michaels. I came in as the hard ass in all black, black boots and black trunks with a shaved head. But I did a lot of, I did a lot of high spots at the at the same time. So it was a weird combination, and they didn't really know what to do with me. And any time somebody threw a tater. It got real, real fast. Um, so I was not looked at as being very welcome in the ring after about my first, about the first, uh, about 11 months was the extent of it. After that, I went straight into uh, hook and shoot exclusively where I got to actually really throw for real. That's what I was more geared towards. That's what my personality was more based around. I was not... I, I wasn't acclimated enough with the business. I love the business, obviously, but I wasn't acclimated with the behind-the-scenes politics and everything that goes on uh, to really work well in the ring. So, you know, it, it, it ended up working out for the best. I, uh, I was never going to be a good hand, uh, as it were. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is. That's kind of funny. I might I might have to share my my story of breaking into the business as well. But what's what's ironic is your your gimmick name was uh, was Christopher Michaels, and you were based on a Shawn yes. Michaels. Uh, huge Shawn Michaels fan. Shawn and Brett were were the idols that I modeled my career after. Absolutely. I, I spent yeah. seventeen years in the business. But when I was first breaking in, they wanted me to be uh, uh, Chris Jericho's little cousin. I was supposed to be I was supposed to be I was supposed to be Matt Jericho. <laughs> so were you were you working in the uh, you were working in the uh, Northeast then at that point right Oh, I worked everywhere from New York to Florida and from Jersey to Colorado. Uh, okay, I've, I've been all around. I've worked for BBOW. I've worked for uh, I've done a couple dark matches for ECW. I've worked for uh, many locals like uh, Jersey All Pro and uh, uh, okay, you know, like I've been around. Like I was trained by the biggest, I was trained by the Pitbulls. Nowhere near years, but my biggest claim is I did get to work some dark ECWs. I worked with the Sandman, and I worked with Sabu. Um, I worked with uh, Brian Christopher in a couple tag matches. Oh, nice. And um, my friend here in southern Indiana, um, Eric Atkers, we were great friends from middle school on, and his family owned at the Evansville Coliseum, which is big with Mid-South or uh, you know Jerry Lawler's USWA promotion. And they started the uh, CCW, and Eric really wanted to put me over in the biggest way because I had the right look at the time, and I had the right kind of hard edge and everything, and he really wanted to put me over. But 
um, working those matches with Sandman and, and uh, Sabu especially, we had a lot of fun. And going through Dutch's school, uh, which at that point in time, this is 1992, was uh, learning the ropes and being uh, pushed out to the ring for your first work, uh, was running the ropes, knowing how to take your backfalls, knowing how to hip toss, and that was about it. You, you got thrown into your first work at that point in time. And it, it just wasn't, if I would have had like another six months of like, the powerhouse or, you know, like what the ECW had going later in the 90s or even going down to Jerry's Jerry's area in the USWA, I probably would have been a lot better of a worker. But the way Dutch did it was, uh, you know, just take some bumps and get out there and learn your way through it, which is the way they did it in the 60s or 70s. It just wasn't a good fit for me at the time. I had a lot of fun, and I stayed in the industry for a while doing promoting and whatnot. But, um, yeah. That was uh, <laughs> I was a much better shooter than I was a hand in the ring. That's for sure. Well, that that that's actually kind of ironic because I, I was trained by the uh, the the pit bulls, Gary and Anthony, uh, Gary Wolf and Anthony Sorelli. Oh, uh, outstanding! Yeah. And, yeah, and their training was not too dissimilar. I spent six months getting my ass kicked, learning how to take the bumps and uh, and run the ropes. And when I got my first match, I swear to God, I spent a year counting the ceiling. But really what I was doing uh -huh. was spending, uh, you know, counting, counting the lights on the ceiling. But really what I was doing for that whole entire year was actually learning the craft. I don't think you, I don't think you learn the craft in, in training. You no. learn it out with, yeah, and I with didn't, opponents. I didn't get that opportunity being put into the right spot. So, you know, back in those days, well, you can't say back in those days. but you know, <laughs> Well, yes, I time, can. I broke in in 97, so <laughs> it's okay. still 20 years. All right. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I was... Was 92, 93, and at that time, you know, there was a lot of jealousy backstage. If you came in with the right body, everybody tried doing everything to keep you down. They didn't want to do anything to put you over. And obviously, I didn't have the chops or the time in the ring to actually get myself to that spot. And I became really resentful really quick because my boy was the promoter. And anywhere I went outside of the area to work matches to get some seasoning. I was not in the back pocket of the promoter at the time, so I really got put through a, through a lot of bullshit, mm -hmm. and I wasn't prepared for it, and uh, I didn't I didn't get the right knowledge put on me. And looking back on it, I missed a really big opportunity, but at the same time, I enjoyed my time doing the uh, hook and shoots and the UFC fighting way more than I probably would have at that time. So. You know, it is what it is, but, yeah, I, I broke in, and I got to be one of the boys backstage locally, not on a national. I wasn't able to go territory to territory and do anything, but here locally I was able to do some work, and, you know, it was fun, and it's a cool cool feather to have in your cap to say that you did that and worked with Dutch and all that shit, and, and uh, uh, but, you know, it is what it is, but it was fun, that's for sure. I just I just approached it the wrong way and didn't write, didn't have the right knowledge put on me breaking in. You know, well, that, that's kind of funny because I, I had something very similar to my career and I, I, I kind of, you know, I kind of powered my way through uh, my career just uh, 
to, 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 to spite people who said that I wasn't, you know, I would never amount to anything. I was too skinny. Uh, I could bump really well. That's one thing nobody ever said against me is that uh, this, this kid can bump. But as far hey, as that, that's, that's a big thing, you know, being able to take the bumps and be able to get up is a big deal. Exactly. But, uh, you know, I was never big enough. I would never, I would never, uh, get a big enough push. You know, I would never be, I would never, I would never be, uh, uh, um, you know, a main event or whatever. And it used to piss me off, and it, it actually determined me to go that much farther, like saying I would never get out of the local circuits in, in Philadelphia, like GWA, PWA, you know, where I started. Did you ever it, come through OBW? Did you ever come through uh, Ohio Valley? No, I wanted to so bad, but I never got the opportunity. One of the biggest biggest things that ever happened was being able to spend my one and only 10 minutes with Corny uh, in the in the business. And have him come at me, you know, look, kid, you're fucking up, and here's what you need to do whenever you take that bump, and you know how corny he is, yeah. seeing him off camera and, and doing everything. But, you know, I I, I think he kind of took a little bit of a shine to me. I'm sure he doesn't remember me, you know, shit from Shinola at this point 25 years ago. But um, You might be surprised. Was, He's got uh, a long memory. Yeah, he has great memory. He really does. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing, um, but uh, because I've heard him talk about a couple of cards that I was on, uh, even though mine were you know prelim or, or dark dark matches at the point in time, but being able to work a couple of darks in the OVW, uh, the one match I had with Brian Christopher, then the other one I had uh, with uh, Sandman and Sabu. Wait, hold up, back the fu- um, oh wait, Brian Christopher, okay, yeah. Sandman, you worked with Sandman and Sabu. Yeah. I I I, yeah, did, I, I did I did work in a in a tornado match with them. Yes. You you have no idea wow. how goddamn jealous I am of y'all right now. Well, I'm thinking about my I'm thinking about the three dark oh, matches. Yeah. I'm thinking about the three dark matches I ever did. And you're lucky you got to work with Sam Anasabu. I got to get my ass handed yeah, to me by Tajiri, by Little Guido, and by fucking Shane Douglas. And when I say hand my ass handed to me, my dark matches were thirty second squashes. Shane was uh, he was very famous for doing the 30 second squash yes he, he was. was horrible to all new talent but I'll tell you and, what Tajiri, uh, Tajiri was, was the worst Tajiri was the worst because like you saying really? like you, you potato uh, you potato it becomes real Tajiri does not yeah. pull those fucking kicks like in any way shape or form right. <laughs> and, and that was my instant downfall with all the boys you know, it, it, he was doing strong style before it was called strong style, but um, uh, just the ability to be able to take some of those taters from those guys. Um, you know, I took—I have a big scar across the top of my head from the stop sign I took in the uh, Sandman and Sabu tornado match. I was supposed to be outside of the ring and brought in for one bump, and it ended up I got a tater thrown at me by uh, Sandman, and so we got we got real close in the clinch, real fucking quick. He got me out of the ring. He said, "Okay, kid, that's it for you," and put me out. And then whenever I got outside of the ring, I got a stop sign put over my head by Brian Christopher, which was a double turn because I came out with Christopher. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, so, uh, but at that point in time in CCW, there was no real TV, so a double turn didn't fucking mean anything. So it was really lost on the crowd. I just took a really bad shot to the to the head with a stop sign, and I still have a, cr- a scar across the top of my head from it. That's about the only shine I got from everything that I did. 
I got I got a story for you, but before we do, um, I, I feel we've been kind of like uh, excluding uh, UA and, and Anthony in this, so I, I've got a question to throw out to everybody here. Since I know everybody here has either been involved in the wrestling business in some way, shape, or form, or at least have been a fan of the wrestling business, I I think we got a I think we got a topic of conversation to be able to discuss that doesn't have to do with coronavirus, and that is the yes. current state of professional wrestling, like. The best. Before we do that, okay, would you rather take a kick from Tajiri, or would you rather take a kick from Great Muda? I would rather take it from Tajiri because Great Muda would fucking go through you. I I would say I would say Muda because I've never taken Muda. If you're in the spot that I was in, Muda was going to fold you, and uh, but I never I never got the chance to work with anybody like Tajiri. So I, I don't know, but I, I think I would rather work with Muda than Tajiri. Well, that's okay, that, here. I, I, Muda is I'm the gonna, teacher. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to one up Anthony real quickly. Would you? I, I just have to think about that, because I'm just thinking to myself. Either way, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, either way, you're going to get folded. I promise you. Would, would you rather take the kick from Tajiri, oh, or would you Tajiri. rather take a Singapore pain shot? That's still, that is actually one of my favorites. I will one-up over both of you. I would rather take both the Singapore cane shot from Sandman and the Tajiri kick over one more Harley race chop. Oh, did, you, did you take a shot oh, from Harley? I took... I, I got put into a battle royal with Harley, and I was I was very skinny. It was in PWA. I was very skinny, greenhorn, but I was supposed to be a cruiserweight high flyer. So, you know, we're getting set up for the thing, and he's slapping his hand against the wall, toughening up the skin on his hand. And I said, yeah. what are you doing? He says, well, you like to do flips. I like to do chops. Well, during the course oh. of the battle royal, he got me in a corner, and he lit me up with about seven shots before just – Dumping me over the over the top. How, how many blisters oh. did you have after that was over with? Because Flair talks about how uh, bad the heart. Because that's the reason he uses the chops, <laughs> is because of all the time he spent in the ring with Harley and and Kim Patera and all those guys. But I mean, taking a chop from Harley, goddamn, that's uh, I, I mean, took hitting you with, uh, blocks of cinder. Well, let, let's put it this way: for the longest time, for the longest time, the joke was I'm a colored person because I changed about seven different colors in two months. Fuck yeah, you did! Uh, <laughs> I bet you did. Uh, <laughs> Harley Race got some big old meat cleaver hands of his. Dude, the yeah. first one felt like it collapsed my rib cage. Just it. <laughs> yeah, Harley uh, is. Um, I only saw him backstage twice. I never got to even come close to being anywhere around any of the work that he was doing, but. I mean, he could definitely, like, put three walnuts between his four fingers and probably crush them shaking someone's hand. That dude's hand is incredibly <laughs> strong. Man, he can't <laughs> well. wrestle for superhumans. But, uh... uh so, anyways, what was the question that you had for us, Chris? Uh, well, All I gotta say is, Charlie Race is definitely still the man in my heart. It's sad that he's not he, with he's, uh, de- he's, He definitely is one of the truest badasses to uh, walk in between the ropes. As far as people who could really put a hurting on you, whether it was a work or not, Harley was definitely like one of the top ten. Kim Patera was no- notoriously bad as well. But Harley, because he was able to run and work and, and, and do do the flips off the ropes and everything, he was able to work a match both aerobically and able to really put hands on you and just with a grip hurt you. 
And, and that's something that I think a lot of these new school guys lack. They don't have that. Well, but I, mean, I was talking to, I was I, talking to Nikita Bresnikov about that. He was talking about, you know, back in the day, you know, like, I mean, it's just that, you know, the KFAB um, was. Yeah, and this is KFAB days. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and so Nikita was telling me, you know, like, back in the day, though, they still had to make that shit look real, real. So, I mean, they were. Yeah, they, they were, were very close to the vest. Very. Yeah, it was. You were basically going against superhumans, man. And, and whenever I was breaking in, and this was just a few years before you, Chris, I guess, if you broke in in 97, whenever I was breaking in, not only was kayfabe still a very big deal, it was almost a religion, but a lot of the guys worked so close to the vest that if you didn't come out of there hurt, you didn't work a good match. And it was an honor badge to come out the next night because a lot of these guys worked eight, nine, nine shows a week, especially if they were good enough to be TV talent. Right. Uh, back in those days, if if you weren't working injured, you weren't really one of the boys. You were never brought in in the locker room as being over with the guys if you weren't working hurt. And all of those guys worked 300 days a year hurt in some, some form or fashion. And Harley is uh, – he put a lot of people through it, and uh, he, he came from a much older generation from the 50s and 60s guys, and then through the 70s and putting guys over in the 80s and 90s, obviously with Dusty and, and Ric Flair and, and uh, Dory and Terry Funk and, and all of those guys. I mean, it, it, he's like a crossbridge to seven, genera- uh, seven decades of wrestlers, and he's kind of that intermediary of uh, being in the middle of – carrying on old traditions and passing it on to the newer guys. And, and I think in, in a lot of instances, especially in the show, if you go to the WWE, you're in the show, and I think a lot of that is lost. Well, you're, you're talking about the current state of wrestling. You're not wrong, but I think it's also the mentality, because I could, I could definitely tell some stories of, of uh, some, some locker rooms where I considered it a cancer, even though, in a sense, I was kind of part of that generation was the rise of the cruiserweight and the more realistic and less, I don't want to use the term comic bookish, but uh, larger-than-life gimmicks, uh, you know, during the whole transition from, uh, from like, the Hogan era to the, the Attitude era, if you will, if I'm using yeah, mainstream. Going from, yeah, going from the way to John Cena. No, fuck John Cena. Um <laughs> the, the, but uh, but I've heard the stories. I've heard the stories about like when the old school wrestlers, like the 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 even the uh, the Ric Flairs and the Arn Andersons, when they broke into the business, your tryout. You know, the, I remember my tryout was to see if I if I had enough gumption to come back after being embarrassed and having the shit kicked out of me. But that's all it was. Most tryouts yeah, back in the day, they want to see if you came back. Right, but back in the day, they'd break a fucking body part and see if you come back. They would literally well, break your leg. Hogan. Yeah, they would literally yeah, okay. break your leg and see if you would come back, had the heart to come what back. What happened with Hulk Hogan with um, um, Matsuma? Um, was it Matsuma? Uh, anyways, he broke his he broke his uh, calf and ankle, um, and uh, they were like, okay, well, let's see if the big guy can come back. Uh, so, you know, it's a different... Different thing nowadays, I think. Yeah, it is. 
But uh, the, the the big thing that I noticed changes in that that bothered me was uh, like we were talking about kayfabe and and telling stories in the ring. You know, the way I was trained was you you call on the fly. Like when you go in, now I know I know I'm not spoiling anything. People know that fucking wrestling's predetermined nowadays. Uh, back when I was in the business, like Chris attests to this, we still held on to kayfabe. Like, no, fuck you, it's real. You don't believe me? Get in the ring. But I mean, you yeah. know, if you want to say something, I'll punch your fucking lights out. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, well, shoot, back in those days, man, shoot, you got caught with like who somebody's supposed to be feuding with or something like that. Your ass got fired. Exactly. Well, you know, and, and, and whenever I was coming in was whenever they were doing the uh, work with the crowd uh, gimmicks that ECW made really, uh, really famous. But, you know, it was bring golf clubs, bring light bulbs. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of not faking that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, yeah. so, you know, um, even though you were conditioned to be able to take bumps, especially if the weapon got in the hand of another worker, then you were definitely able to, you know, okay, let's take a second here and figure out how we're going to work this. But, um, you know, whenever fans bring shit to the, uh, to the game, then it's a whole different, uh, whole different, whole different gimmick, I guess is the right way to put it. But, um, you know, that, that only happened during the nineties. So mm-hmm. we're part of a generation that came through you, you and me, Chris, we're part of a generation that came through with workers that, um, wasn't seen before and hasn't been seen since. Well, that that's where I was going with it. Was I, I, there was a lot of people that, that were up and coming. Like Once I was already starting to be established, as I crossed that thread, threshold of uh, no longer green, but I'm not necessarily a veteran yet. Right. You, you know, and I'm I'm in that era, and I'm starting to see the new up and comers, and like gimmicks are being dropped. These people are coming in and and fucking like pretending they're UFC fighters in in shorts, and so, you know they they were pulling the right. uh, uh, who 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 the fuck Ken Ken Shamrock looks. Ken Shamrock. Uh, Ken Shamrock did that to a lot of wrestlers at that time. Right, but that that was he really he really put a bad spot on the business actually, because it took about five years to wash that off. And unfortunately, the yeah. people the people that were coming in, they were talented as all hell. The kids that were coming in, but they had no gimmick, no personalities in the ring, and they 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 lost kayfabe. Like you're, in the ring, you're supposed to tell a story, whether it's on the fly or you're calling the whole entire match beforehand. Whatever right. the case may be, there should be a story. If you're if you're doing a spot and that spot does damage to a certain body part, sell that fucking body part, right? Yeah, you have to work it for the whole fifteen minutes you're in. Yeah. Well, these these kids believe that everything should be a fucking high spot, and they sold none of it. No, yeah, you're working too hard on the high spots, and and you're calling, you know, six high spots in a fifteen minute match, and it's like you barely needed the one. Oh, Why guys, 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 more? guys, not to interrupt, but I do have to acknowledge this. We've got a couple people watching, but the one that just came in, Mr. Tito Santana, is actually watching us, guys. So, Arriba! Arriba! Oh, oh, damn. <laughs> so, just wanted to give him a shout-out. So, I'm sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, you know, a shout-out, Mr. Santana. What's up? Definitely, man. Tito, a Hall of Fame uh, legend, man. That Definitely, uh... But, uh, you know, whenever you're working some of these matches and you see, you know, these three or four high spots that are being called, not so much on the fly, they've uh, actually, you know, uh, uh, pre-worked them. And then uh, they continue to go from one to the next, and they don't understand the psychology that goes into, okay, whenever I'm getting ready to take this bump, I need to turn left. 
whenever I get up, I need to take right to face the crowd, and then I need to go to another left to be able to come off, uh, have him hit me coming off the ropes. This is lost mm-hmm. so much with these guys nowadays. It really is. Well, I think I think I think it also I mean, comes down to the training too, because I remember when I was training, and again, we're we're in that strange world where we were the last of the old, but the beginning of the new. You know, and, and I remember them training us. And even though, like, in GWA, there was no cameras, we were being trained to sell to the camera. Like, we weren't being trained to sell yes. to the crowd. We were told that we were trained to sell to the camera. And I, I always thought that right. was weird because in the independent circuit, not a lot of people do camera shows, even if they're recording for a DVD. Yeah, there's no, there's no camera activity in, in seven out of ten so, shows you do. Right, so yeah. you got it to, to my mentality, and when I became a trainer for uh, Rocky Mountain Championship Wrestling, mm-hmm. I told them, don't even worry about the camera. The people you need to worry about is in the front row. Well, <laughs> one of the things that Dutch, uh, Dutch really drilled in in the uh, three months that I went through school with him was, don't worry so much about where the camera spot is supposed to be. You're looking at uh, front, right, center. Look at, you want to sell the match to the guy who's in upper deck 12, seat 7. The no, guy you're... who's way up looking down, that's who you wanted to sell the show to. And if you could sit close to the vest with him, then you could definitely work on camera no matter where you go. No, you're, you're not wrong. But the reason I was saying sell to the front row was uh, making sure that you covered your uh, your spot calls and everything else because they were the eyes that yeah. could see you the best. You know what I mean? Right. So, or they so... could even hear the calls in some instances. I was in a couple of matches where they could hear the calls. And I always liked to stomp whenever the calls were going on. And uh, I had one guy from the front row actually tell me, he said, throw to the ropes and fucking uh, flip me. <laughs> I had a match. I'm not going to lie. I had a match that was a complete clusterfuck. It was in uh, Rambler's Rec Center in Philadelphia. Um, it was me and a makeshift tag team partner uh, taking on TV Generation, which was a great comedy tag team. But we, we, it was just a shit match, and like we had Hat Guy in the crowd from from ECW fame. You know, he's a heat, he's a heat awesome. bringer. Yeah. And yeah. this to this day, I'll never forget what I heard screamed out because the crowd was quiet because the match was just garbage. And uh, it'll it'll put into perspective like about what time a uh, time it was that this happened, because all I hear is I Hat Guy. All, all all you hear is Hat Guy as loud as could be. Turn around and yell. This it matches like this is why Bischoff got fired. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he ain't shit for that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, we were we were we were fucking hurting. But uh, you, you mentioned like you're a Shawn Michaels fan, and it's funny when you say the uh, fans hear the calls. Shawn was famous for that because uh, Shawn would yeah. was the type of guy if he was calling something and nobody heard it or they didn't do it right, he would call it scream. He would scream it out clear as day. Didn't care who fucking yeah. heard it. It actually became part of his gimmick where he'd grab you by the arm and be like arm drag as the, you know top uh-huh. row of the arena could hear it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that yeah. sounds like something that hbk would do yeah <laughs> but the question i was going to the question i was going to uh present to you guys uh so that way it's a little less like inclusive for for chris and i you know and more inclusive to everybody who's ever been a fan of pro wrestling is yeah, the, you the, nerds. the the uh the current state of the business like to give an example when i when i stopped wrestling I kind of stopped watching wrestling because it just 
not just the fact that I know the inner working, so it, it doesn't have the entertainment value, but I think although the talent has the in-ring ability, there's there's no charisma, there's no personalities, there's no stories. I I I think wrestling's lost in today's generation, as far as mainstream's concerned. I'm excluding independent circuits in, in my question. Yeah, I, I think... I mean, I would have to defend, like, AEW. I feel like their promos are bringing something important back, where it's just like... You're not just focusing on one guy, like um, another certain promotion that shall be unnamed. <laughs> um because I feel like we're getting a variety of people that can talk, but also do different styles. The only thing I got to say that annoys me about pro wrestling right now is every fucking buddy does the Canadian Destroyer. That needs to stop. <laughs> it used to be a finishing move, okay? Well, there's a you lot get... of finishing moves that are being used by everybody. That's uh, true. I was saying, though, when you were doing a flipping power driver, that was supposed to be it. You get dropped on your head after flipping 360. Dropping your head. You're supposed to be laid out flat and probably dead. Well, come on, man. You talk, you talk about you talk about uh, Jake the Snake, Snake Roberts earlier. His DDT was supposed to be like the end-all, be-all. You're dropping somebody on their neck. Oh, fuck. It's an opening move. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's an opening spot now. I mean, it, it's an opening move. You know, the floating DDT gets used in the first five minutes of any 60-minute main event. If it's lucky enough to go sixty minutes, you know. know, When was the last time you can can remember an actual? When I'm seeing five Canadian warriors in one match, that's when I know I'm a little concerned. Well, Well, you know, when was the last time you can remember an actual Broadway? First of all, in a title match. Second of all, where a finishing move is only used one time. I think the last time that that was being done was probably. Undertaker and Stone Cold, like the Big Show kicked out of Stone Cold Stunner the first time. I think it was like 99 or 2000. And then since then, it's like everybody wants to kick out of a finisher. And, And it wasn't even allowed back then. So for 20 years, you have all of these new fans who think that the finisher is the setup finisher five times and it's called a finisher yeah. for a reason and you only see the one-time finisher use in the independent circuits now well mm. well see you're you're not wrong because i remember i remember when i was working for uh i remember when i was working for uh, rocky mountain championship wrestling and that's when they decided to turn me from heel to face they gave me the uh moniker of the east coast kid and they wanted me to be a good guy and during the time, I used a finisher uh, that was called, uh, I called it the, the bitch slap, which later got changed to the wild card because I'm, you know, I'm a good guy, uh, which was a full Nelson into a rock bottom. Um, <clears throat> but uh, he wanted me to change my finisher and he wanted me to bring into uh, old school mentalities, which I started using for, for a little while until I went back to the wild card. Which was, uh, which was, he wanted me to finish people with a top rope crossbody. As old school as it can be. Oh man, Yikes. that is super old school. That's some down in my kid shit. Yeah, that was that was my that, finisher for about you know, a I mean, year that's, as a that's, face. Nineteen uh, eighties. Yeah, that was that was my finisher for about a year when I first turned face. As he he refused. It's like you can use the wild card as a setup. So that was corny. What's that? 
That was uh, that was uh, Mr. Twenty Twenty Blind was Mike. That, that... Oh, really, Blind Mike? Okay. Uh, yeah. So he he was the one that he's like. First off, I lost the bet because I told him there's no way I could ever turn face. He figured it out. But uh, once I turned face, he said, <laughs> I, "I want an old school finish out of you," and that's what he decided that my finish had to be. So. It, it worked for a little while. Like, the fans appreciated the old-school mentality, but the reason I went back to the wild card is it, it lost its flavor. People didn't care because it's like, okay, I would do a match. I would finish. I would go over. I would finish with a cross body. The following match, somebody's, you know, opening with a cross body. Right. Yeah, they're coming off the ropes and, and throwing it uh, in the first three minutes. Uh, that's, uh, yeah. It completely killed the shine of my finisher, so... As cool as it was to bring old school back. on the same card using your moves as just a work, and they're not, you know, even trying to, like, copy the finish. Somebody else using your move on the same card, man, that's fucking, like in the old days, that, that would get your ass kicked in, in the backstage yeah, area. That's a backstage ass whooping straight up. Steve, yeah. and that, Do you imagine if somebody used Randy Savage's move, like, and while he's backstage looking at the damn match, he's like... I'm gonna kill this motherfucker. <laughs> I'm gonna snap into it. Yeah. Well, I'm about to show him how to snap into a slim gym. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, rest in peace, Randy. I think that there's some good and some bad going on with today. If you're not a a 40 year old fan and you've just come into it, you know, like teenagers now. Right. I think that there's a lot of value going on with AEW because they are showing them some old-school gimmick. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, as long as you're not older than that demographic, the 13 to 21-year-old. If you go beyond that, then you have to go to some really extreme lengths to be able to hold people's attention. And that's where the dilemma is. How many high spots can you carry during one match? And, um, you know, the promo work is definitely getting better. That's for sure. There was oh. about a 10-year span where the promos were just god-awful. You know, like, if John Cena is the highlight of your promo of the night, then you've got a fucking problem on your hands. Well, it depends on the Cena because I, 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 it depends on the Cena because the the good guy Cena, yeah, he was garbage. But the uh, right the the oh. rap the rap Cena, Cena my favorite Cena. The rap yeah, Cena, Cena definitely a totally different gimmick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Which I blow people's minds all the time when we talk about John Cena. It's like what frustrates me about Cena is he became one of Vince McMahon's normal three move uh, three move big guys. And it pisses me right. off because you can move the dome. Because you can go online and find uh, shit of Cena before he made it big. The guy was a fucking cruiserweight. He had talent out the ass. He could he could he work chain. When he was the prototype. Yeah, when he yeah. when he was when he was working chain, he was working technical. He was working high spot. He had ability. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, now he's just a fucking big dumb brawler with a mouth. That's what pisses yeah, me yeah, off yeah, about Cena. If you if you go back, what is it, twenty almost twenty years? Maybe it's eighteen years now. Right, whenever he came back from, uh, whenever he made the first appearance from OVW, whenever Batista was the Leviathan, <laughs> right? Whenever he makes that first transition into the show, and his first exposure with with uh, the under, with the Undertaker, whenever he's making that first run with him. 
which I think is like 2001, 2002. That sounds about right. He's, he's, he's still working very much with all of his tools in his belt. He's doing some high spots. He's doing a lot of flips. He's doing arm drags for for goddamn. I mean, uh, you know, challenge John Cena in the last five years to see a match with an arm drag in it. You're not gonna fucking see it. But back then, the the take, Taker's always been really good. If he recognizes talent, if it's time to put them over, he's always been a great company guy, Absolutely. and he's always been a great business guy. That he understands that this guy needs to be put over in this way. And then as soon as that feud with the uh, Taker was over, the first run of it, and like I said, that's 2000, 2001, 2002 maybe, once that was over and he's now in the big league and it's his first of 13 championships, all of that stuff went out the window and he goes to the three moves of doom mm -hmm. very quickly. And uh, that's where I think Vince has lost his touch from... 30 years ago, coming out of the 80s and the early 90s, going into the close of the 2000s, where he was able to see people working an actual Broadway or at least a 30-minute and, and letting them show their whole repertoire of moves. Now it's the three moves of doom on everybody, even if it's someone they're just trying to put over. Like, imagine if Rocky Maivia was to come out now. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, jeez. <laughs> right? Yeah, no. Not the Rock, Rocky Maivia. Yeah. Rocky oh, Maivia. Oh no! Talking, no. About if that, if that guy was to come out top. now, it would be a fucking disaster. It'd be a shit show immediately. And uh, you know, I think that's where Vince has kind of lost touch with it. And uh, but Vince you know, has always been that way. Vince has always been that way. Um, Vince has always been the big monster lover, like uh, you know, yes, the Sid, right. the Sid Vicious, the, the Hulk Hogan's. Yeah. The even it, it, even it, it, Diesel, uh, it took a lot to get people like Bre uh, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, uh, Eddie Guerrero, fucking uh, Rey Mysterio to be the top guys of the business because he didn't believe and he didn't believe in the smaller guy. Uh, the same thing I think buried WCW is they had they had hella talent in their luchadors and their cruiserweights, right. but all they wanted to do was just ride on the. Uh, I Trying called to get the guy over. Yeah. The, the the WWE dinosaurs. You know, what, uh, what really ruined them was when they decided to do the cruiserweight killer like angle where Kevin Nash was killing everybody's uh, cruiserweight character and taking their mask. Yeah, ruining, like just ruining all these cruiserweights. Like I, I think they had a long term plan in place to where maybe they would all come back and get him without the mask, but they lost sight of it very quickly. And it became, you know, like you said, where Kevin Owens is the killer of all the cruiserweights. I think there was a long-term plan in place, and they just lost sight of it super quick. Well, one which of the, is uh, something that Vince does all the time. Well, one if of the things I one of the things I absolutely despise comes from uh, comes from tradition traditionalism and and belief in old school uh, belief systems in the business. I would ne if it were my promotion, I would never allow that gimmick to happen. And the reason of being, I would say that is not because he's crushing cruiserweights. No, that's fine. The mask thing. Most of the people that he's demasking are luchadors, and true luchadors that, yes. in Mexico, that is a huge, huge thing. Hell, that's, 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 that's not even a slap in the time. face. That's worse than that. That's a loss of career yeah, and, and respect. You're fucking up their international. Mm -hmm. You're fucking up their international career that way. Yes, you are. And he didn't care, you know, and, and or doesn't I mean, care. 
to this point. And you would think, looking back over the past 30 years, going into Raw and Attitude and all that stuff, looking back, his best ratings come from, other than Stone Cold, you know, Eddie Guerrero, um, yep. uh, you know, all of the smaller, cru not cruiserweights, but just a, share above, uh, just a hair above it, you know, these guys that weigh 225, those are where all of his best ratings come from, other than Stone Cold. Like, the Undertaker actually never drew that big a TV rating. He, he, he did for WrestleMania, though. Yeah, for WrestleMania because of the streak. But uh, him and the Big Show and all of these other super heavyweights that they try and try and try to put over, their ratings are uh, pale in comparison to all of these guys that are only 225. Even Kurt Angle <laughs> outdrew some of these guys that are you know monster heavyweights. Um, and Kurt Angle was, uh, I mean, he was a work to begin with. And, Kurt uh, Angle is... I, I feel bad for Kurt. I, I, like, yeah. I love Kurt, but I feel so bad for Kurt. The guy's a legitimate athlete, a gold medalist in, in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. like, with a this broken fucking neck. Yep. With a broken neck. This guy with is... Broken this fucking neck. With a broken neck. Nobody can ever <laughs> take that shit. Dude, dude is... that shit. Dude is dude is as legit as legit could be, and yeah. they had him running around with a little cowboy hat, drinking milk, playing the ukulele. Like this dude had a hard fall from grace for the WWE, but God bless him, he's still playing it to this day. You can find him on social medias, yeah. fucking around with a guitar, pretending like he could sing "Kumbaya, My Lord," and asking uh, oh, during the no, but he's still he's still playing the gimmick, man, and God <laughs> bless him for it. But it seems like such. It seems like that's the character you don't, or that's the person you don't give a character like that to, because you just he doesn't and need he doesn't need that gimmick. He's he's fucking Kurt fucking Angle. You know? I'm not gonna lie. Like, the first couple of years when he went to TNA, I love this gimmick where he was kind of like he looked like he was like an MMA fighter going to the ring, come up on that platform and shit. I was like, this is what Kurt Angle should have fucking looked like, like. <laughs> Cause like I was sitting, I was just oh shit, they got Kurt looking hardcore and shit. He got on a mouthpiece and everything. The two, he the two legitimate. Somebody up. The two, the two time, the two times I really, really dug Kurt Angle was uh, when he first came out and he was just the Olympian and and it was all about he was he was as Mister USA as you could be. Yep. That that was legit, and the time when he turned heel with the with the mouth guard shit, where he would snap off with that fucking ankle lock, and he was looking to break people's leg uh, yep. legs. Those were the legit fucking Kurt Angles to me. The guy the guy mocking Steve Austin with milk and cookies, not so much. Funny, it was entertaining, it was funny, but that to me, it's like Kurt wasn't the guy to do it with. See, the one thing I loved about Kurt, though, I didn't like it. I didn't like his gimmick. I thought his gimmick was goofy. But man, when he got up in that ring, man, it was fucking magic. It didn't matter who the fuck it was. He always he could made work magic with, in the ring. He could work with a broom in the ring. That's for damn sure. He could. He could do it no matter what. <laughs> and Look, uh, you know, it, man, we talk about he could be. He could work in the ring with an invisible man. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I watched a match in BBOW. Like, I, I, I'm not against the gimmick match in any way, shape, or form. And one of the greatest magical moments I ever saw was an independent circuit at BBOW. It was a guy named Shama Tango versus a guy called The Missing Link. 
Shama Tango, yeah. Shama Shama was a was a Papa Shango ripoff, obviously, but he was a, he was a voodoo yep. witch doctor, yep. and he's taken on a mental patient. And one of the greatest gimmicks is he turned on his voodoo magic, and he took over Link's mind. And he had him running the ropes back and forth like a hip hop hooray ho type deal. Had the crowd into it and everything. Had him beat. Had the missing Link beating up himself, and of course Link was fucking taking the bumps and selling the bumps and everything else. Not one spot, not one thing landed. He just watched Shama's hands the whole fucking time and reacted. And I swear to God, dude, it was magic. <laughs> it was just two minutes of pure like that is the greatest thing I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> so I am. I just watched recently. Well, and I, I mean, I, I, I feel like match. in the independent. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just gonna let you know that was probably one of the greatest damn things I've ever seen. This is one of the reasons why I love the independence. So I'm not, I'm not opposed to the, to the gimmick match or the gimmick mentality. You know, I don't want well, people to have that wrong. <laughs> social distancing match. Somebody pulled off a Canadian destroyer, being six feet away. That was beautiful. Oh jeez. <laughs> oh shit! Canadian destroyer. Front flip. Other guy drops himself on the head. Well, what's the, what's the dude I've seen on social media a lot? He's a, he's he's an independent worker. He and he's got like a his gimmick is like his penis is like fucking Thor. Joey Ryan. Joey, Joey yeah. Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, shoot, and he got balls of steel. Yeah. Do not have time to drop Joey Ryan. <laughs> so again, I'm not against the 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 the, the over the top gimmick or or the gimmick match in any way, shape, or form. It, if it sells right, it sells right. It's just certain people. Oh, hell yeah. Like I've I've always stated, you know what I've always wanted to find? I wanted to find a dude kind of like uh kind of like Anthony. You know, I wanted a dude who was big and 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 just a really huge guy. And I wanted to put him in like Chuck Taylor's and Oshkosh by the gosh fucking like coveralls with a tie-dye shirt. Oh my god. And one of those one of those heli- one of those helicopter beanies, right? And he would come out to the ring to umbop. And uh, we'd give him, like, the hottest girl we could ever find to play his mother. And the character would be called Baby Stewie. And the whole... That sounds scary as fuck. And the whole entire thing is, is to him, it's all playing. Like, you have him come out to the ring with a bucket full of Legos, pick a kid out of the crowd, and start playing Legos with the kid. When the match happens, he thinks it's just play fighting until he actually gets hurt. Like, somebody does something that he actually feels, and he starts crying and throws a temper tantrum and stomps the shit out of his opponent. But the whole entire time, he has no idea that it's an actual match. He just thinks it's playing. He's just a giant kid. I always wanted to see that gimmick happen because I think it would have sold. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great fucking gimmick. I didn't see so, that. So, <laughs> I would actually let, watch let, me a, let me ask you guys a question. Hell, let, let, if I were a wrestler, a I would actually do that fucking gimmick. I ain't going to sit here on. We're, we're, we're talking I about gimmicks, up. and obviously we've that's, thrown around fucking, AEW a few times. Um, what's that? What do you guys? What's your guys? I said that's fucking Orange gold. Cassidy. Butch Cassidy. Orange. Orange no, Cassidy. No, no, no. Or, Orange Cassidy. The yeah. most dangerous wrestler ever in the history of wrestling. <laughs> what is dangerous in, kicks in the doom. history of the world? His. His just his his pedigree. They've had to ban him from several promotions because uh-huh. he he has too many stiff strikes. 
This man <laughs> is one of the most lethal people that's in wrestling today. I don't know. I think that still goes to New Jack. <laughs> he may, yeah, New Jack is by uh, far the most dangerous person to ever wrestle. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's New Jack. New Jack said to Orange Cassidy, damn, I thought I was dangerous. Fuck that. I am never wrestling you, kid. I don't know shit about this guy. Again, I haven't been paying attention to modern, so so what is that? That's his gimmick is that he's the most dangerous man, and I guess he's a joke. No, no, no. Orange Cassidy is the guy that doesn't try hard at all. Like, he, let me put it like this. He knows he's like, what he's doing is he, comes in, and he does not give a shit. He does shit. like a half thumbs up, rolls into the ring like he's like halfway dead, jumps up, pretends he's going to go up to the um, to the corner to um, just, you know, do like something to get the crowd to pop. He goes up one single rope, does like a thumbs up, everybody freaking just pops like crazy. And then, like, he won't, like, try so, for a match, right? Somebody will try to push him down. He'll push down. And then he'll kip up. It's 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 almost uh, an old play on the old <clears throat> Raven gimmick where okay. he rolled in and acted like he didn't give a fuck about anything that was going on in the ring. But whenever it came time to tie up, he could really put a hurt on somebody. Okay. Um, it's kind of like that, except where they put a little bit more of a – Millennial is not the right word, but they put a little bit more of a different spin on it with the with the same kind of edge, where he just doesn't give a fuck. He's there for the page check, but he can actually lay lay so, down on somebody. Nice. He just did a match with Pat so um, on um, AEW's pay per view, and that was yep. some entertaining shit. It was like. <laughs> It was it was like that a was great big card match. I've seen in a long Pack was time. still you know getting heat being the heel, and Orange Cassidy was putting Pack to work. Pack was just getting pissed off with him, just like, are you gonna fucking try? And like, <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't. He refuses to try. So yeah. so essentially, and then like if like for instance, if so he's a dangerous slacker. The best way to describe it is he's a dangerous slacker. Basically, because you don't know what's going to pull off. Like, hell, he was an independent TV champion for almost a year. <laughs> and it was the most funny shit because so, he went against a lot of people. He went against Janela. He went against Kylie Ray. He went against Eric Stevens and rolled up Eric Stevens with, like, some type of trap roll. <laughs> like, it was just the most greatest thing ever. Like, I cannot hate on this gimmick. Hell, I just watched a match with him, the Velveteen Dream. Like last night from a WWE pay per view, because uh, they've been throwing out new, um, like free magic and shit on YouTube. And it's him and Velveteen Dream is with NXT right now. And you know, I've never heard such crazy popping from both sides. And it know, was just, it was you know, brilliant. You know, it's uh, you're making me think of it now. Uh, last night, I finally sat down and watched the Jay and Silent Bob reboot movie. Uh, and, uh, it's 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 on the grounds of wrestling. Uh, if you've seen the movie or not, I I still jaw drop laughing my ass off that uh, Chris Jericho was the leader of the KKK in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> this movie. Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch this. <laughs> they I actually. Completely sold. 
<laughs> yes, Chris Jericho was the grand Whoa, grand I'm... wizard or the grand dragon, whatever it is, of the this group of KK, KK members. <laughs> Talking about hater tots and shit. I don't even know what to say to that one. <laughs> oh, it's Mark, actually uh, funny. Yeah. It is funny. It, it, was a, it was a funny movie, but that that particular scene, like as soon as he lifted the... Uh, the hood. I'm just like, get the fuck out of here. They did not get Chris Jericho to do this. <laughs> that was like the least racist guy I could think of the wrestling. So that's yeah, what that's what makes you think That man is put on almost Speaking a lot of, of people Jericho, from different races and different generations. To see him with the KKK leader, I gotta see this shit. <laughs> I need to see it. So, I need to find it. Anthony. Where can I find this movie, Chris? It, God dang. It's on DVD. Go go rent it on a red uh, at a red box. It's on it's on Amazon right now. All right. I'm going to my Amazon Prime account and we're about to get primal. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you you were about to say something. I, I was just about to ask Anthony. By the way, has anybody been checking out Tiger King? What do you think? What do you think what? Has anybody uh, been checking out Tiger King? I was going to ask Anthony what he thought. Tiger King is nuts. Uh, no. I, I need to watch it because I've been seeing a whole bunch of people making comments about this damn show. Anthony. What the hell? Anthony, UA's been, uh, Anthony, uh, UA's been trying for about two minutes to ask you a question. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's okay. It's over and done with. Don't worry about it. <laughs> UA. Nah, it, it's okay, Anthony. It, it's okay. Don't worry about it, man. It's all good. <laughs> Every time he tried to start the question, you'd be like, what about this Tiger King stuff or whatever? It's like, dude, he's talking. <laughs> all right, I'm listening. Nah, it, it's all good. It's it's all good. It's a really bad question anyways. Uh, well, no, I want to hear the question now. You've got to ask it. I got the attention for you. The floor is yours. Um, I was just going to ask Open Anthony, since we were talking about Chris Jericho, what Let does he think in. of Chris Jericho's new theme song, Judas? Well, considering it's Earth his song, I love Hello. it. Yeah, exactly. It's like it, it's, it, In my opinion, I think it's one Patiently. of the greatest theme songs that he's had. I, I don't know if Anthony can hear me. I don't know, it's Anthony. Can, can you hear him at all? I cannot hear him at all. Well, thanks for letting us know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a problem. There is the problem. That's why he didn't know you were asking the question. He said, uh, speaking yeah, exactly. speaking of, since we were speaking on uh, Chris Jericho, what do you think of his new theme song, Judas, which is obviously his song from Fozzie? Um, a fucking hit. I mean, I know the song's been out for a while now, but like, it's it's great. I mean, how the crowd can sing to it. How the, how the crowd loves it. To be quite honest, I think it's probably one of his best interest songs. After they're done singing. I'm saying this compared to the Wrestle Kingdom themes he's had, too. Well, speaking so. speaking of Jericho and Fozzie, uh, one, of the, one of the things that made me a fan of Fozzie was uh, actually not one of his original songs, and it wasn't the fact that he was Chris Jericho. One of the first songs I ever heard, though, was a cover of Ozzy Osbourne's Over the Mountain. Yeah, no, that and was a good That okay. was that. That's what got me into Fozzie more than more than the fact that it was Jericho. More than the fact of any of his original stuff was what they did for that for that cover was just like okay, 
you know you know what i mean like <laughs> you get the golf clap we're we're in let's do this yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't get into Fozzie until like I say 2008. That's about when I started checking it out. You know, it's like you know what, fuck it. Let me check out Chris Jericho shit. I'm just like, oh, the motherfucking athlete sting. Oh, okay. he can definitely sing. Yeah. Well, like I had a newfound respect. I was gonna say too. Like, Jericho's been known to be able to sing for a so, long like, time. Because I already yeah. respect yeah. him as a wrestler. But god dang. You know, as a singer, I was like, "Damn!" So, I have... On a scale of one, uh, on a scale of one to ten, with Chris Jericho, I guess being the ten. What other wrestlers would you consider to be the biggest crossover or holdover to the old days of kayfabe? Because Chris Jericho is like one of the only few who can really pull off that style at this point in time, in my eyes. Uh, I don't know. I think Moxley's doing a good job on it too. Who? My, uh, John Moxley. He's been doing a good job on it. He's too. good, but they just can't find the right yeah, way to Mox- place him. And then I'm gonna give it to MJF too because MJF is always in fucking character. Well, that's true. Yeah. So I mean, there are some young cats that are doing. Cody's doing it too. So it's just like there's some young Cody cats. Is, that- Cody is definitely a holdover because he's doing everything he can to hold on to Dusty. Mm-hmm. So I there's mean, that. Yeah. But as far as without having that, you know, without having that family feed into it, Chris Jericho and like you said, MJF. Okay. Outside of that, who else falls into that category if you're not going to New Japan? Uh, that's that's hard for me to answer with not watching current uh, incarnations of pro wrestling. So I I, I abstain. That's hard for me to answer. <laughs> being Alex primarily Hammerstein. a WWE watcher. I'll say Alex Hammerstone, Danhausen, Warhorse. Um, try to think here. So obviously the answer is the list is very small. Well, I think I think very much I, so at this point. I, I as as much you know? as it disheartens me to say, I think wrestling has evolved beyond the old school mentality. Yeah, and 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 so, but if you look at it in each one of the organizations. The top draws or the people who get the most action, the people who are getting the most heat or getting the biggest pop with the fans, are the people who are holdovers to that. So where does the industry go? Well, I think I think you're answering your own question. I think even though the wrestling has evolved beyond uh, the old school mentality, most times out of ten, the things that get the biggest pops or the biggest draws is when you pay homage in some way, shape, or form to the old school mentality. One of the perfect examples I can give, I mean, it's not it's not 80s old school or 70s old school, but like whenever they do a reunion of D-Generation X, tell me one time they've had an empty chair in an arena. Right. Never. Every time they come on, the whole crowd pops, obviously. You, you know what I mean? So, so I think I think there's room for the old school mentality to come back. It's just getting the business to understand that the old school mentality is still appreciated by the fans. And I think it's the biggest well, appreciation. Part, you know, <clears throat> go ahead, man. I think part of the problem, at least in terms of for WWE, is the fact that it has evolved and it's moved away so much. From even the Attitude Era, like from the Attitude Era, you went from that to the PG Era, right? And from there, it just went downhill so fast. I have no idea fast. what he's saying. 
And yeah, I know. Well, no, no, no. It, it, it's fine. Wait, I, I'm hearing them, so the, the 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 stream is hearing them. Just pull up the stream; you'll be able to hear it. Uh, but yeah. I, I agree with you. But part of I think part of the PG era, two things I think have ruined WWE. There's two things. One was on. uh, both are Vince's fault. Um, one is there is no direct competition to WWE. WWE was at its prime when it had competition from WCW and the upcoming ECW. When Vince bought WCW and ECW and closed them down and utterly destroyed them, there was no competition, so the writing became lazy. One. Two, Vince has been so worried about turning WWE from just in, uh, from just pro wrestling into an entertainment conglomerate, movies, TV, music, all, all the such, that he's lost sight of what pro wrestling is. To him, pro wrestling is just a byproduct of everything he's trying to make. It's not the mainstay, and I think that's hurting the biz, uh, the the E as well. Not the business in general, but the E. Uh, but the, the, I think those are the two biggest downfalls. And, and this is no disrespect to AEW. This is no disrespect to Impact. But I don't think they hold the caliber of WCW, ECW yet to become a threat to the WWE. So E is never going to change their differences until they have somebody who is actually threatening yeah. their top status. And I, I think that there's a, a big extent of that where they're beholden to the stock or the shareholders and the entertainment uh, conglomerate that has come out of it since the Attitude Area or Era has taken on a life of its own. And so he has lost that connection to 20 years ago and it's grown since then to the point where he can't control it like he used to. So I think that's why we are where we are with it now. And I've heard... Well, you know, I, I, what happened to Anthony? You sound like you are far away. I switched to my phone from my computer because I'm Can you, can you hear UA now though? Well, okay then. Yes, I can. Okay, good. Well then it works. (laughs) Hey. Yeah, I heard That's fine. man, like. When it comes to motherfuckers want to go to AEW, like I heard, he lost his shit when Matt didn't resign because he knew where the fuck Matt was going. Well, that's well, a that's the thing. Like, I mean, that, that's there's... not exactly a surprise right now because anyone who's asking. Good, no, good. Holy shit! Okay. Oh no! Um, like, oh, go on. No, you go on. <laughs> um, no, it, it, I agree with you because it, it, aside from AEW, you have AEW, you have Impact, you have um, Ring of Honor. They don't hold a torch to WWE, and yes, AEW is getting close to it. And anyone who's asking for their walking papers, Vince knows exactly where they're going to. So his top stars like. John Oxley, like Matt Hardy, when you know, they're asking for their walking papers, leave and show up on his one of his opposing brands that is picking up ahead of steam like WWE did in the 80s and 90s. I mean, yeah, it's going to make him furious as all hell. 
And I, I, I think, I think that's what it's. Ne- I think that's what's needed. I think I agree. I think I think Vince. I do think Vince needs to step down. But I hate to say it this way. I don't think Triple H is the right one to take over. He's a good bridge to what's next. I don't know. I think, and um, just because he is part of the old school and a connection to the new school. I think he is the right bridge, but they're going to have to find the right guy who can carry it forward from there. Like he, he needs to be the behind-the-scenes torch, torch that carries everything. He can't be the front lines guy because he's just so he's always in such false character. That's well, that, the thing, with Triple H at this point in time, he's become a caricature of his old character. Well, see that—that's where I'm going with it. Is he—he's too—he's too, he's too fo- front forward, and he's still a gimmick. He's still a character. I think. I think. Uh, I think the person that should be that should be taking over the business, legitimately, should be Shane, because Shane also has that connection to the old school mentality. He was raised in this business. You know, he understands this, but he's been in the True. ring working this business. He knows it, but he also knows that he's not a, uh, a, a main eventer. He's not a, a former WWE champion. He's not a major draw. He is just simply a businessman. Right, but he's also an insider of the business and has worked as a hand. He has been put over as one of the boys. He is in the locker room. So he's that next connection. And like it, like you're talking about with Triple H, um, the fact that he's been so over for so long, it's incredibly hard to put him into that driver's seat of just driving the company because every time he sees something he doesn't like, he wants to use it as a gimmick to jump in the ring with that person. And I think Stephen, I think uh, um, Shane is the person who can. Um, you know, not go that route and just drive the company. I think he's hard enough in both worlds that he can stay out and drive what's going on. Well, guys, not to not to cut this one short, but uh, we have been joined by our our expected guest. He is he has joined us, so I'm going to pass the torch over to uh, Mr. Christopher Stutter to not only uh, Stutter to not only uh, introduce our guest, but to to start the second half of this show. So. Steve, the floor is, or excuse me, uh, Chris, the floor is yours. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody. I uh, just want to bring on board um, Mr. Stephen Joyner. He's our uh, publicist and PR behind the scenes for everybody who's on right now. And uh, Stephen announced earlier this week that he was willing to do an interview, which he rarely, rarely does. And he's in connection with all kinds of Hollywood legends. And uh, people from the past and people from today uh, within the Hollywood community. And he's somebody who's been a, a great boon to my career and everybody else who's on helping us getting uh, getting exposed to everybody. Everybody, welcome Stephen Joyner. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good, man. Doing real good. So the guys have been uh, nice enough to let me uh, take the lead here on bringing you in on an interview portion with uh-huh. everybody for uh, everybody who doesn't know the behind the scenes of what goes on in the podcast world and all that good stuff. Steven is the guy who puts us in touch with all of our guests. If we've ever had anybody on who's a celebrity, anybody who's been tied in with uh, uh, Hollywood, anybody who's an author, anybody who's a model or an actress or an actor, any of that stuff, 
Stephen has very much been a big part in putting me in touch with those people, and I thank for all the other guys on the show. Yeah, Steven. they're all they're all they're all great. Yeah, now it's been really weird today because I'm in the Midwest right now, and uh -huh. uh, I I um uh, uh, was talking to a friend of mine back in uh, Martha's Vineyard, and uh -huh. every year every year. Um, well, one of my one of my dearest friends wrote the, the motion picture Jaws, and another guy I know was a, Joe Alves was a production designer. Carl Gottlieb was a screenwriter, um, and my friend Jeff Voorhees was in the movie. I know a lot of people tied to that movie. Well, <laughs> this is the 45th anniversary of Jaws. It came out in 1975. Yeah, and, this summer is the 45th. Yeah. Yeah, and Martha's Vineyard every year has a, a like a Jaws fest thing, and you get people from. Literally England, you name it, and because this was a very significant year, am I still on? Yeah, you're on, but okay, because yeah, you're still big, on. Because this was the 45th, and you guys got to keep something in mind. Carl and Joe and even Spielberg—they're like, you know, older now, and 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 you know, Carl had a, a health issue last year that we we thought we were going to lose him. So this was really going to be a big deal because you know. They don't know if they're going to be around when the, when the film turns 50. Literally, they, even my friend Jeff Voorhees, who played uh, Alex Kentner in the movie, uh, he was a kid that got killed on the raft. That dude's like in his 60s now. People don't realize how time just marches on. And um, they had to cancel the whole event. It sucks. I got Carl going to um, St. Louis and New York in a few months, hopefully. I don't even know if that's scratch. I mean, they haven't said anything. He does screenings and Q&As. So it, it, it's sad to tell... You know, uh, older people like them, they have to be indoors. There's just no way. They can't go out at all. Yeah. We can go for a walk or we can go into a an open store, and the elderly are the ones that are really, really at risk. And well, they're so, the reason we're doing the quarantine, really, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. So I'm telling my friend, who uh, Carl, who's a very outgoing guy, uh, yeah, you know, you went through all this, you know, rehabilitation with your heart and so on, and they won't let you out of the house. He, it sucks, but it is the way it is right now. So I've noticed that life is on hold. Everybody knows that, and I think that people are, I don't know, they're they're just doing their thing. The podcasting world, everybody should be. Well, podcasting is huge right now. This is gonna be, this is a really interesting time for podcasters and radio people in general. But um, people need escapism because there's only so much Netflix and other things you can watch to where you just want to escape. And a lot of people will find your guys' show maybe by accident. You never know. This I think social media use is like at an all-time high. Even people that don't go on Facebook are digging around on Facebook. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just weird. It's it's uh, when when they shut everything down, you kind of realize everything you take for granted. <laughs> so yeah, I know it's you, you do. You're like, oh man, and and, and for me, I, I like to go out to eat every now and then, and I can't do it. I had to. I went and got a, a couple of pizzas, and I had to order it and sit outside. It was it was it was like uh, I felt like a guy who was you know sharing custody of my kid with my ex-wife waiting to pick him up or something. It was weird, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. You're not allowed inside to be able to pick up what you ordered, and, and they have to bring it out to you. And it, uh... I had to call ahead, and I didn't know this, because I thought, because there's some <laughs> restaurants where you, okay, no, there's some restaurants you can go inside, as you know, and just order your shit, order your stuff, and leave. Well, I got there, and they're like, yeah, yeah, you 
can't come in here. I'm like, well, how am I going to order? So I'll just call. So I'm calling the place, and I'm looking at the guy taking my order on the phone through the window. That was really <laughs> weird. <laughs> a little, little bit of like, it was like, it was like stalkerish stuff. You know, I felt like saying, you know, I know what you're wearing, man. But, you know, but I could see you. Man. But um, I, do, I did the order, and then they, and then she comes out to take the money, and she's wearing gloves and shit. So I feel like, you know, I feel it makes you feel like, God, I'm dirty, you know? I mean, so well, it, um, did it, that, and then, it's funny you mention that because I mean, uh, like here in Philadelphia, we got a, a convenience store known as Wawa, which is kind of like a Seven Eleven but with a deli, and uh, uh-huh. they they've shut down where you can only have about ten people in the store at one time. There's no longer soft, uh, self serve coffee. All of a sudden, uh, people are are being like baristas and have to take your coffee order and make your drinks for you. They're wearing gloves and shit. Mm-hmm. They just recently shut down the deli part. One of the major things that was a draw for them was you know ordering a, a, a hoagie or, or uh, a cup of soup or something, they shut that down completely. Uh, you're right. You, you wind up feeling like you're, you're, you know, when you're standing on a little pad that says you're six feet away from the guy in front of you, you know, when you're in line or, yeah. you know, they're handing you your cup of coffee and they're wearing a mask and fucking gloves. You feel like you're patient zero <laughs> in yeah. these things. Like, I feel like Hannibal Lecter or some shit, you know? It's like, yeah. don't take anything from him. You know? But, uh um, yesterday, I went with my friend and his girlfriend to a storage unit, and we stopped at a liquor store. Thank God those are open. And um, oh, lucky you. We were across. We, we were across the street from a mall that, <laughs> me, that, me, that me and Anthony Williams went to a few months ago, and the whole thing was empty. It was like it looks like you know, it just looks. If you guys want to see something really interesting, um, I don't know if any of you were like fans of the old Twilight Zone TV show. Yeah. Oh yeah. There is, I, I want to say it, it was in the first season, maybe like the third or fourth episode. There's a really interesting episode about a guy who's walking through a town that's abandoned. And he's, you know, he goes in and, and things are still running and all that. And it turns out that he's an astronaut and they want to see how he would, and he was in isolation chamber. They want to see how he would react. Um, that's a really good episode right there because you feel like you're walking around and the world's empty. And then you see people scattered here and there, but I just, you had that mall that me and Anthony hit up, I saw the parking lot, I'm like, damn, this thing was packed. It normally would be packed. So it's just the adjustment we're making right now. And I think a lot of people are using this time to self-reflect. I got a call from a friend of mine named Freddie, who's in uh, New Jersey, and he does the Wise Guy show. And... Freddie, Freddie's like, you're not going to believe who called me. And there, I won't say his name, but there was a guy that me and Freddie had a falling out with like over a year ago in Long Island. And the guy called to like make an amends and stuff. He said, I guess he must be going nuts being cooped up. I'm like, yeah. So <laughs> I think I'm trying to look at the pros of everything. And there are a lot of pros. You get time to reflect. But if you're, I, I don't know. I mean, this is like, I, I, I hope that after this is all over, people are nicer to each other, and I hope they they wash their damn hands and shit more, you know, and they're a little bit more cleanly, but uh, <laughs> I, I, it's just weird, and I heard you guys talking about wrestling when I got on, and I was just reading that uh, another wrestler in the WrestleMania coming up is sick, and it's like, damn, I, yep, they're falling like stones, yeah, well, no. it, it, there, there, there is no such thing as social distancing in the ring. I mean, it's a sixteen by sixteen foot ring. If you're standing six foot apart from each other, how you doing the moves? You know what I mean? So, 
things transport very quickly because to be a, a pro wrestler, whether it's an independent circuit or even WWE, it's a very intimate, close-quartered group. It, most of what you do is very, very, you know, intimate with each other as far as, like, inside personal spaces. It, there, there is no social distancing if that's your career. Well, they they, they call their spots, too, don't they? They're like, oh, I mean, you were a wrestler, Chris. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, both Chris's were. I, I just found that out today. Both Chris's. Yeah. 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 So you you have to call spots, and with the with the audience crowd, you know, you can get away with it. But I I heard from Maddox that they were. I don't know if it was a SmackDown or Raw, one of those shows. He's like, yeah, you can hear them calling spots. It's kind of weird looking, you know. And then the announcement. Yeah, this past Friday night they had a Friday night SmackDown, and it was without an audience. Some segments of it were, and if you know what you're listening for, you could definitely hear them call spots. It was kind of weird, you know, especially uh, for anybody watching out there, you know, like a 15-year-old who isn't wise to the business or even a 30-year-old for that matter, and all of a sudden you can hear them talk, you know, whenever they're in the corner and they're clenching up and they're getting ready to talk about, you know, go to the next corner, come off the ropes, I'm going to do a flip, you drop the elbow, and you can hear some mumbles of that going on. Like, this is kayfabe way the fuck out the window. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, very much so, yeah. Um, no, yeah it's I mean, really, it's going to expose some things to people who aren't wise, even at this point in time. You know, you would think most people are if they're a fan, but for the people who have tried to remain ignorant for the entertainment value of it, it's going to really blow a lot of shit up if they try to do a live show. Look, I'll I'll put it to you this way, and it, it, it's a, it's a hard thing for for an independent pro wrestler. Chris will understand this, and I'm pretty sure Steve will too, because of the fact that he does work with a couple guys that have, you know former yeah, WWE or whatever. Uh, but you know, I know the wrestling world, whether it's the WWE or in the independent circuit. The the rule number one is always the show must go on. That's always rule number one. But I yeah. think I think for the preservation of the of the, the of the uh, art form that is pro wrestling and what kayfabe is left, I I think it needs to be shut down till this is over. I hate to say it that way, so. but I think it should. Which uh, it's it's not actually, like it would uh, I agree with you a hundred percent. I think it actually, uh, I think it actually raises a really cool opportunity. If that is <laughs> with that being the case, that means that you know Friday Night SmackDown on Fox or Monday Night Raw on USA. If that were to take a hiatus, or they were to show best-of shows or Hall of Fame shows or whatever, yeah, yeah. and the independent circuits were able to continue to work on, then there would be a, a kind of an upswing to the mentality of the old territory days, and I think that's something that the business sorely needs. And I think this is the only way that that can happen congruently, is if the big, if the show itself gets shut down, the independent or the fairground shows where it can be done at in the high school gyms. I think this is a place for those those shows or those circuits to get a real rise out of things. And now we can actually have a blending instead of exterminating the old territory. <coughs> we could actually bring it on, and maybe that's something that that really helps the craft. I think in in the next near future. Hopefully that's something that does come out of it. I was thinking about that the other day. What if we could get, you know, the perfect blend of instead of squashing the old territories, we embrace them and bring them on and put them over. So that way, whenever the show comes back on, now the territories are kind of blinging a little bit again, and there's kind of an upswing in that in that old circus style show. I think I think it's important for for the big companies like AWE, uh, Impact, and of course WWE, 
or AEW and, and WWE and all. I, I know I'm too many letters. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I always thought that it, it was stupid of them to not acknowledge the independent circuits in some way. And I don't just mean like OVW, but I mean like any of them. Just pick, throw a dartboard and pick a city with a, with, uh, that has an independent you know, federation and acknowledge those federations because of the fact that you're letting the fans know that even the talent that's in the WWE nowadays or the a, uh, AEW nowadays, they came from here. Well, you know, that's the bridge that I'm talking about. Maybe not so much as acknowledging CCW or OVW or whatever in Southern California or New Mexico or whatever. Maybe not so much mentioning the organization, but bringing on their stars. Like, look at all these guys in the rosters right now who are probably going to go down because they've been exposed. They were in crowds overseas and to the night of the national quarantine. So mm -hmm. you know there's going to be a huge portion of that roster that's going to be hit, which means we're going to be losing them for an, an exponential amount of time. So why not use this as that opportunity to kind of bridge the gap? Maybe somebody does get mentioned in, in their organization, but at least bringing some new guys on who actually work the craft as hands back in, you know, back in the 90s and 80s, who work it that way, working with a form of kayfabe bringing those guys back in. I think this is that bridge that maybe the business could really, really use. Well, maybe maybe one of the uh, smartest things that somebody like Vince could do, like he doesn't want to shut down WrestleMania, but he's losing all his stars to the coronavirus. Maybe, right. the, ha maybe the happy medium is, I hate to use the term scab, but scab some indie uh, circuit guys up, up and give them a shot. Right, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Some of these guys who can actually work high spots can really call on the fly. And they're able to, you know, some of the guys who've worked uh, some uh, title matches and have actually worked broadways in the past 12 months, let's come on, give them a 15-minute spot and see what happens because some of those guys are going to be lightning in the bottle just like the Attitude Era. Nobody saw some of those guys came on, come on that came on from 94 to 2001. There's a lot of guys that came out of the blues, and I think this is a, a very big opportunity to let that kind of happen again. I, th I think that's a I think that's a great idea because I think I think it's a win win for everybody. Vince gets gets to keep his pay per view. The show right. goes the show goes on, and even if it's the one and only time these guys get that exposure, that will do wonders for them in the independent circuit. It's like yeah, at I worked I worked least, WrestleMania. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know the next, so, the next you yeah. know even though it's not in business, but if like OVW was going right now, then all of a sudden you could say, hey, we got the Leviathan. He was in one of the prelim matches of WrestleMania. What that does to ticket sales what kind of a big shot in the arm that does for every promotion that actually gets to be included in it this is a time for you know maybe not Vince but Cody to definitely be an ambassador and like really fucking like not just put because right now these national shows are originally are, are really just big production regionals yeah, so if you're in one of these and actually make it a real national show where we're bringing the new hot shit kid from San Jose and the badass from fucking Austin and putting them in the ring, oh shit! You know now you got magic. You know that's what needs to happen right now. Well, uh, I wanted to switch gears here for a second, Chris. Uh, sure. Because uh, yeah, man, go well, ahead. Actually, well, actually, all you guys. Um, <laughs> You know how you talk about you know your effing binge, right? You need to talk about binge watching and stuff. I, I, yeah, I I've been yeah. putting it together a list of people of movies that people should not watch right now. 
Oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have it in front of me, but... Uh, Number one, one, Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon, <laughs> well, that didn't make the list. The Shining is a definite no. Uh, Diary, no. Of Aunt, Diary of Aunt Frank. Um, Outbreak is a horrible Outbreak, movie. 12 Monkeys, uh, uh-huh. Walking Dead, you're, Walking Dead, you're just asking for nightmares. Uh, 2012. There's, 2012. There's a lot of movies you should not be watching right now. <laughs> and also, I'm serious about this because people are going to watch. I mean, I watched a documentary on Howard Hughes and realized I had more in common with the guy than I wanted to. Right now, you <laughs> actually do. And and as part of our show, we do binge watching uh, TV shows and everything with everybody. So, one of the shows that I actually had on the list from an interview was somebody said watch Doomsday Preppers. And at the beginning of the uh, shut in. Me and my co-host Joe were like, "Oh, okay, cool. This might be some comedy relief right now." No, it's not at all. Like, no, I will. I will watch Mad Max and the Road Warrior. I mean, that's just fun because yeah, you know that, what? That even is... though it's even though it's the end of the world, <laughs> even though it's the end of the world, those folks are out driving. You know, for the most part, you know. <laughs> I'm it's not, a title for gas, not clean air. Well, 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 if we're gonna do we're, if we're gonna do a list like that, then I would say number one on the list would probably be like I Am Legend. Ooh. Oh hell yeah! Now that, but you know, he still got out Whoa. during the day. But he was—I am legend—he was alone. <laughs> you want to know? You want to know a little uh, trivia that's kind of useless, but what the hell about wrestling? And I am legend. Go ahead. Go ahead. What, how are those two what, what? 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 movie prop was using that? That was using a big wrestling promotion. <laughs> the kitchen sink. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah. Uh, when 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 Will Smith and I Am Legend was shooting golf balls off to uh, off the uh, Intrepid, that's where they did the Yokozuna body slam challenge back in the 1994. The, oh, is that the uh, Lex Luger that's, Express? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like, he that's what launched, that's Intrepid, there. and he was launching golf balls off that. Okay. Yeah, that was during well, the Lex Luger deal. Yeah. Yeah, they tried to make him a baby face, and well, you know what happened. But yeah, that was that's the same thing. The the Intrepid. So, okay. Yeah, that's useless trivia. So when you watch it with somebody, pretend like you just you know found it out. Um, <laughs> Ruin it now with people watching. Yeah, no, uh, but there's a lot of movies. People, I think that people are plugging into like really bad shit too, you know, and they're, so they're watching like bad things they shouldn't be watching. They need to be watching stuff that, you know, is uplifting. I also think that people should stay away from musicals because that's just a nervous breakdown waiting to happen. <laughs> It's kind of part of the show, isn't it? Well, well fuck, dude. Yes, but fuck, dude. I was I was scheduled to watch La La Land with my girl tonight. You just ruined that oh, for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I was gonna say you're you're talking to someone who is a big fan of both Broadway and Hollywood musicals, and you're asking me not to watch them. That's a you little can, hard you, to do. You, you you can. I mean, I'm not I'm not. You know, anybody can watch anything. It's just you know what's funny about musicals is. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I, I I used to I, I managed a, a comedic actor named Eddie Deason. He was in Greece, and uh, me and Eddie went to yeah. a, a Greece screening last year in Fresno, California, and they had the sing along. Okay. And my friend Barry Pearl, who was one of the T Birds, he was he was in the film as well, and Susan Buckner, and me and Eddie are at the sing along thing. And they're showing the lyrics, and we're like, holy shit, we didn't realize how dirty some of these lyrics were. And I'm like, were you aware of this back in the day? Oh, like, oh yeah, yeah, no. Oh, they're totally talking about fucking. 
Totally. Yeah. Well, the, the grease lighting, he talks yeah. about, it's like a pussy wagon. I'm like, Andy, did you know about this? He's all, no, Steve, I thought we were just making them. I'm like, yeah, this is some nasty shit they sunk in there. So, how, how is, uh, how is uh, Eddie doing? Eddie's doing good. He's, he's, I, I talked to him the other day, actually. He's doing really well. He's down to 112 pounds, so. He, he didn't have, really? lost, he didn't have much he to lose him. to begin with. That no, boy was always skinny. I, well, the last time I saw him was a week before Christmas, and we went to a, a delicatessen in in, uh, in West Hollywood, and um, he would he could hardly eat anything, and he said, you know, I'm going to go back to uh, Maryland to see my mom and brother, and then I'm going to, you know, get my, my heart looked at, because he had a heart problem last year. We just didn't talk about it to people. Right. And, well, the rest happened. You know, he called me the day before he had surgery, and then, you know, he was down, he was shelved for a long time. But uh, now, who, who was it that said they liked musicals? Oh, that would be UA. He's uh, he's one of our co-hosts of uh, <laughs> Press A Gaming podcasts, and also uh, occasionally UA. shows up to uh, After Hours. So you might recognize. So you, UA, uh, um, um, there's a friend of mine. You see, you're a musical like you're really into musicals, though. Like you know, you know your stuff, right? I, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm a huge buff or anything, but I I could tell you some things. I enjoy them immensely. So yeah, oh, that's go cool. Ahead. That's cool. Yeah. No, no, I was just going to tell you something kind of, you guys, if you guys want to see some trippy stuff, there's a friend of mine, her name is Diane Steinberg, and Diane was a singer in the 70s, and she, she did a lot of Motown type stuff, you can Google her, and Diane was in probably one of the weirdest drug-filled musicals ever made, they, it was, she, was yeah. the, she was in the Sgt. Pepper movie. Oh, she Jesus. Awesome. Yeah, she played Lucy in the Sgt. Pepper movie, she's she's sweet, sweet woman. But if you ever see the Sgt. Pepper movie, they don't speak a word in it. It's it's a rock opera, and this movie has Aerosmith, Alice Cooper, Steve Martin, the Bee Gees, Peter Frampton. Mm-hmm. It has it, it, here, here's what happened with it. Diane told me how she got in the movie and how it all came to be. Robert Stigwood, uh, late Robert Stigwood, was had this like Midas touch, and he did Saturday Night Fever, and then he did Grease. Well, he wanted to follow that up with something really big. So what happened was he approached Lennon and McCarthy and all of them and said, look, I want to make a musical about Sgt. Peppers. And it was a stage play for a while. There's a really good, um, if you want to see a, the movie critic, there's a movie critic uh, who, he, he, online, and this guy is really, he, he will take a part of the movie. But, so Stigwood sunk a lot of money into this movie. He got everybody that was big in the 70s and the movie is really, really strange. And the whole movie is about the band becoming, being discovered and going to Hollywood and being corrupted. But the thing is, is that in the town they live in, which is called Heartland, USA, there's these instruments. And they do the, they yeah. do the whole backstory about the instruments. You know, <coughs> UA, have you seen the movie? No, I can't say that I okay. have, but the name sounded familiar. So, so the, the instruments have magical powers that could, like, you know, like they, they stop World War II with them. And it's, it's wild. It's and the Beatles, bro. Yeah. They found and, the pick and, of destiny. <laughs> yeah. And then, and so why, why the band is off becoming famous, George Burns, who's also in it, George Burns narrates the whole damn movie. Nice. Uh, there's, 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 yeah. there's a demented real estate agent named Mr. Mustard who has a van that's got, like, robots in it. And he steals all the instruments to, to drop them off for Aero, to Aerosmith. It is a wild movie, and and um, Diane who played Lucy. It's got some cool 
some cool musical numbers in it, but it was just people hated it. And it, it Earth, Wind, and Fire were in it too. They they uh, they won a Grammy for it. So it's a very you want to see a, and you could find anywhere. Just look up the Sgt. Pepper movie, 1978. You'll be like, holy shit, there was a lot of drugs going on in this movie. Well, I understand. So, I understand why people hated it. I, not I not necessarily it, because it was a terrible, not because it was a terrible movie, but I can understand like uh, Beatles fans are notorious for if you don't do it exactly how it should be for the Beatles. I guess you could say. Then you're disrespecting the Beatles, and Sergeant Pepper's is for a Beatles fan. Sergeant Pepper's is the Bible. You, gotta <laughs> yeah, the movie. you guys, guys, get, guys, got to find the movie, hunt it down, watch it, and after you watch it, I'll send Diane Steinberg your perspective shows. She's really sweet. Her husband is a man named Kenny, who's actually lead guitarist for the uh, Steve Miller band. Oh, nice. I, I have seen the uh, uh, Sergeant Sergeant Pepper's. And you yeah, it, okay. it's definitely a drug fueled movie, and with the Beatles being in it, and they wrote it. John Lennon and McCartney are very influential in how the movie is done and shot, and all the other visions they have in it. And it's like really super crazy. And uh, if you they haven't seen it, it, you yeah. definitely have to see that movie. It's awesome. Well, I mean, and it's funny because Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees begged to get it, you know, fired. They don't want to do the movie anymore. And they had lied to Frampton because Frampton two years earlier did Frampton Comes Alive and he was trying to get some, you know, kind of mount something back for follow-up. So they had lied to Peter Frampton. George Martin did said, oh, yeah, Paul McCartney's going to be in this movie because there's a weather vane that comes to life. It's really weird, and it turns out to be Billy Preston. <laughs> but he was lied to, and he, and he thought Paul McCartney was going to be in the movie. And it's just it's just the, the shenanigans that went on and, 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 and you could tell like nothing makes sense at all. Chris, if you, uh, if you remember uh, you remember their airplane crashes into a their hot airplane gets hit by an airplane and then they're in the airplane all of a sudden. It's like hey, that doesn't happen. Yeah, I was getting ready to say what the hot air balloon yeah, scene or I mean, whatever. It's yeah. just weird yeah. stuff, you know, but it's it's fun because it's that was the middle of uh, a lot of their albums had nonsensical lyrics. Like that became a term in rock, as far as songwriting song uh, writing goes, and uh -huh. that was a term that came up because of them because they would write all of these lines and lyrics that two words didn't go together and it was all nonsense. But they did it to rhythm and tune, so it was great, you know, a great song. But it didn't make any fucking sense at all, and the whole movie was like that. Well, it's funny because. Uh, um, <laughs> I um hold on. Sorry, <laughs> my apologies. This is my wife. No biggie, man. Well, it, uh, so, how's 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 uh, everything going back in California? Everybody, I know you're. In, I, it's it's see. still open. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I I it's there. That I last time I checked, it's there. I, I right. Know, it, okay. It's fine. I I have a lot of Facebook friends out there, obviously, and they're um they're a lot of people are going to the beach. You know, and, and I know and, and it's so. I don't know, man. I don't know how to feel about that because if you're in the, I don't even know if I want to get into this discussion with everybody. But it just seems like this. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like the right time to be so nonchalant. Well, um, I, 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 you're right. And the thing is, is that we're by nature just told not to do things. I, I'm, I'm, vis I'm, I'm at my friend's house in, 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 in the Midwest here. Yeah. And he was in, he was, he was in the Marines for many years. And there's another guy staying here who was in the Navy and they got like, dude, they got, they, they are, they are prepared. Like, you know, like, like the Midwest people have guns here apparently. 
and uh, you know they're ready for it. But uh, <laughs> they got nervous. guns. Said, what? Damn, all, all, yeah, all these damn white folks with guns are freaking me out. You know, but no, it, it's very, it's very, it's they're um, they're ready for it, and it's funny because they scoff when they say, "Oh yeah, they're bringing the national guard." They're like, "Oh great," uh, but uh, for the most part, nah, it's it's. L.A. right now is shut down. If you if you go to Hollywood Boulevard, it's weird. You, it looks like it's like Vegas. It's just empty. It's weird. Yeah, and, places that are supposed to be crowded are empty, and then places that would seasonally be not so crowded, they they got a bunch of people at it. It's it's just weird, man. I don't know. See, if I was in Philadelphia where Chris is, I would totally. I know the first thing I would do. I would, I would, you know, get a decent camera like a Red or something, and you know, a good tripod, you know, some HD stuff. And I would film myself running up the rocky stairs with music and everything because there's no one there. <laughs> I can pull it off. We call those people tourists. Well, I'm a tourist, <laughs> and I want to run up the stairs. It's on my bucket list. You can, you could do that, but be, growing up here, I no thanks. I'd rather just sit and watch the other idiots do it. Um, <laughs> but I, I just, you know, I would do that. I mean, Fair enough I, on I, that, I think man. That the, uh, I I. Uh, I was a big fan of the Rocky franchise. I, I, I even like the Creed films, too. My only question is, I know they're going to make a Creed 3. They have to. Yep. And I'm sure all of you have seen Creed 1 and 2. Are they going to kill off Rocky ever? Because the dude doesn't die. Well, whenever Spencer dies, Rocky dies. So that's probably what we're waiting for. Yeah, probably. Um... <laughs> well, I was, yeah. well, no, I was watching. You guys, saw, you guys saw at least the first Creed, right? It's like, oh, yeah. you know... Paulie's dead. It's like you can't kill. I thought Paulie. I mean, it's, it's like he's the kiss of death, man. He's, everybody around him dies. Well, everybody who's actually die, dead is no longer in the movie, and everybody who's alive still comes back. Like Drago came back in the last one. So you know that was pretty cool. Yeah, I thought so. I'd like to see them incorporate Carl Weathers in some kind of dream sequence or something. That'd be cool. He's too busy with the Mandalorian him. making real money. <laughs> yeah. he, they can make him look the same if uh, they did a little bit of makeup. They could, they could do it. I mean, yeah, uh, I guess it, I'm again going back to Star Wars. Um, I, I guess you could say that because I mean, look at what they did for uh, for the newest movie with the, uh, the 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 throwback dream sequence of uh, Luke and Leia training. Yeah. I did. I did it looked movie. It yeah, looked like Mark it. Hamill and Carrie Fisher from like 1980. Like they did a great yeah, job great. on that. I, yeah, I, I, did awesome I didn't see it. I didn't see it at all. <laughs> well, it, com- it comes out at the end of the month. A lot of people who did it. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to see it. I feel like I feel like you know. I'm the only person on earth that hasn't seen it. I just didn't want to. You're kind of the odd man out right oh, now, Stephen. To be honest. Oh, I'm just look. I I I wasn't a big fan of the prequels. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't. I wasn't all gaga over them. My favorite's always going to be Empire, hands down. Oh, that's yeah. everybody's and, and favorite. <laughs> and Rogue, Rogue, Rogue One was a hell of a good movie too, man. That was a good standalone for sure. Yeah. I I sat through 20 minutes of Solo, and that was it. I probably didn't give it a fair enough. Uh, yeah. If you watch it a couple times, it grows on you. It's I was going to say that I hated it when I first saw it, and it, it's kind of grew on me. Yeah, you're, you're, it's a good movie. I, I don't so, know. I don't Solo know about... is definitely a cold start, but if you give it a decent shot, it actually is a really good movie. Yeah, yeah, it definitely turn it definitely turns into something really worth watching. It, it, if you just ignore 
that Harrison Ford isn't isn't Han Solo, you could get through the rest of it. Like that's what turned a lot of people off at the beginning. Yeah, but really. the kid they got wasn't bad. He, I mean, he wasn't Harrison no, Ford, but he wasn't was bad. Fun. Yeah, he was good. I thought so. He was he definitely more than passable. That's for sure. Better than I could have well, done. Okay, so you're, you're all Star Wars. You're all Star Wars fans. Um, yeah. What is what is the drizzling shits out of the whole series? What is the movie? Is it the Phantom Menace? Which is the one that's just the holiday the special? Worst? The holiday no, no, special. No, 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 that's TV. Yeah, that's, that's TV. Yeah. We got to go movies. Obviously, the holiday. But out of the film franchise, which is like the one that's just Ewok Adventures. <laughs> no, you're talking about TV. You're talking about offshoots, man. I'm talking about the movies. Is it Phantom Menace? Is it uh, what is it? Well, if if we're talking Jedi? about main, if we're talking about main saga, for me personally, if we're talking about the main nine movies, the weakest one is uh, Attack of the Clones. If you're talking about everything that is released as far as like what is considered quote unquote canon, then mm-hmm. I would say Solo is the weakest of all of them. Personal opinion. Yeah, I, I know. I know a lot of people that hate Jedi. I know a lot of people that uh, I thought I thought the clones sucked. I didn't like it. Um, so I like the you know I like the darker Star Wars movies like Empire and Sith. You know I like the ones that, that don't have you know what I'm saying they're just more entertaining. Where the bad guys won. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know it wasn't. I don't know. It was. Uh, I'm I'm actually old enough uh, to have been there for the opening weekend of the first Star Wars in '77, uh, mm-hmm. so that's by far my favorite. And uh, then, uh, as far as the worst movie goes, um, Force Awakens. Really? Or, or Attack of the Clones? I felt wow. that, I felt that the Force Awakens was was just kind of a remake of. Of episode four, they were bringing yeah. a lot of people up to speed in that one. That's the reason I rate it so low. Um, but uh, yeah, and then um, I remember on the uh, the Muppet Show or whatever, whenever they did the Ewoks Christmas and all that shit, that was great. Whenever I was a kid, but it's fucking dreadful now. If you can get get a hold of the copy, it's uh... <laughs> well, see, oh, the holidays the holiday special I did watch just to say that I watched it, and it was yeah, like well, getting a, that's, like the, getting that's, a not, that's the one I'm talking about. That was actually a Muppet Show uh, holiday special, but uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So they had Jim Henson and the yeah. uh, you know uh, the Spielberg creations. I, I don't know if it was uh, I don't know if it was actually the uh, uh, special effects company yet at that point in time or not, but it might have been anyways. What are you talking I, about? Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah, Industrial Light Magic. I don't know if they were part of the holiday no, special. No, 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 no. Industrial, if you, you guys, the history of Industrial Light Magic was actually born out of a very, very bad thing. So, um, in 1982, um, Spielberg was one of the producers on Twilight Zone, the movie. And there was an onset accident that killed Dr. Vic Moore and two children. And they were they were doing a high a, a very hairy stunt. It's the, that was the, the helicopter accident. scene, right? That's on YouTube. Believe it or not, it's kind of I don't advise people watching it, but if you want to see it, it's uh, just realize you can see three people get killed. But um, that kind of made SAG implement things to make things safer, and Industrial Light Magic was basically born out of that death, out of that accident. And uh, what had happened was John Landis was filming a segment, and he had a helicopter and a pyrotechnic hit the back end of it. It spun out of control and decapitated Vic Morrow, one of the children, and crushed the other one. And the children were not child actors. They weren't SAG. They weren't, you know, they were just hired for the fact that they were Asians. And so um, <laughs> that's kind of what, 
No, it was. It, it was a whole... He was rescuing them from a Vietnamese village. It was. It was. He played a racist. He goes into a bar and kind of like. It was called Time Out. I don't want to get into it, but anyway, it was because of that accident that made industrial white magic really take off. Because now they can film things. I've asked uh, Joe Alves. I said, you know, when you're doing Jaws and Close Encounters, wouldn't it have been great if you had CGI? He said, no, not at all. He said, you know, we had to be creative. We had to make things. We made Devil's Tower on a set. We re we, re we redid it. We made a shark. I mean, CGI Great. is cool, but I, I can't yeah. watch a lot of movies now because with CGI because they look almost cartoony. Not fair. That's 100% fair. I, I think that's one of the things about the new Star Wars saga that you can actually sing the praises of is the fact that they've figured out a way of blending the new CGI technologies with bringing back the uh, the, the, the practical effects and everything. The and models and stuff, right? The, mo the models and the, the puppet creatures and the guys <laughs> in costumes. You know, playing aliens and all that. If you can sing nothing, no other praises to the to the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, you can at least say that that's one thing they did get right. Is I think it, they have done a masterful blend of CGI and practical effect. Yeah, yeah and, they did a really good job with that. And just real quickly, just throw my two cents in to wrap up everything on that. Uh, worst one for me, I think is I have to agree is definitely going to be Attack of the Clones. Because, okay. I mean, every, every Star Wars movie, in my opinion, yes, it has its ups and yes, it has its downs. And yeah, the latest trilogy got shat on pretty bad, but I personally enjoyed it for all of its flaws. So looking at it at the whole, it, Attack of the Clones was just a hard watch. I think I think Attack of the Clones, like if, if I were to make a personal assessment, I think Attack of the Clones would have been best served if you would have taken half of uh, Phantom Menace, condensed it down, and then took half of Attack of the Clones, condensed it down, and combined it together. And made I'm it with you on one that. movie. I think, I think if you took the best parts of both those movies and combined it into one movie, it would have been a lot better film than the two individual films that wound up being. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with it, Phantom Menace, but I think Phantom Menace would have been stronger if you would have taken out some of the, the Senate bullshit that nobody really cared about or got, it didn't really further the story. And then, of course, you cut out three quarters of fucking clones and just put it in there to show that Anakin's growing into what he becomes in, in Revenge of the Sith. So yeah. then the, the third episode of that trilogy would have to become a different movie. And so would that be like following... It'd be Rogue Darth One. Later as he goes through his trials... Yes. I mean, because they all have to be. So you have to follow Darth Darth doing his trials, going on to the different planet. He wipes out not just the uh, Sand People, but he wipes out actually three other populations of uh, indigenous species on different planets. Uh, that's part of his trials that the Emperor puts him through. If you read all of the books, it's uh, um, yeah. So if they were to do that on the last movie, that would make the whole that would. That'd be the best movie of all fucking time, probably. Well, that's exactly it. I would I would have made Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace episode one, just combined together and made it episode one. I would have made Revenge right. of the Sith episode two, and episode right. three would have been like the Rise of the Empire, the finishing of Order sixty six. I really would have extended that out. How the Empire really grabbed control of the galaxy. Right. You know, I was going. I, I was going to say that you would have one and two together as the first episode. 
something of what you get with the animated shows of Attack of the Clones as its own movie and then keep Revenge of the Sith as is, but I like your idea way more than that. <laughs> <laughs> like, way more. Way you more. Right out of the water. Because uh, there's uh, actually on the, uh, um, on the planet, whenever uh, uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin have that sword fight, there's an indigenous spe- species there that's kind of like the same creatures from... Um, Tatooine. Uh, Tatooine. No, not Tatooine. From that movie that they did where the bugs come from outer space. And, uh, oh, fuck. It was oh like Starship a, Trooper? Uh, yes. Bugs like from Starship Trooper, except for they were able to survive on this lava planet. And Anakin uh, comes back later as Darth and fucking wipes everything on that planet. That's like part of the part of the series of books. All that shit. And then he takes out a whole other uh, planet of uh, um, uh, humanoids, and then there's um, uh, taking out the rest of the as part of Order 66. Like, that's there's a whole series based on that shit. Well, there's... And so, yeah, that would be just so awesome to see all that be the crossover, and then you bring, then you, then you do, uh, you know, Rise of uh, Skywalker and, and, you know, Return uh... Force. What, what I, I think, a, what I think is ironic. Uh, we all answered the question of what we think is the weakest Star Wars movie of the of the current canon and sagas. I think it's ironic that the one movie that was not mentioned by anybody, which should prove a point, is the one that took the most flack in the in the uh, sequel trilogy, and that's Last Jedi. No. No, I, that wasn't, I, it wasn't that bad. The Last Jedi was good. I didn't hate Last Jedi. Yeah, that's the point I'm making. Of, for parts no, of it, it was a good I hated, but I personally was thrilled with that movie. I enjoyed it immensely. I was just pointing yeah, out, I like with as much good. hate and and flack that that movie took from from release to to current. It's ironic that we just sat here unabashedly and decided that Solo and, and Attack of the Clones, for the most part, is, is the is the weakest of the of the Star Wars movies, but not one mention, and even Force Awakens, but not one mention of Last Jedi. That's interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and if you look at uh, some of the older fans, you know, because I don't know if anybody who's on right now is... Steve, I know you're younger than me. Chris, I'm pretty sure you are. Um, I'm younger. Not okay. by much. Not yeah. by much, but I'm younger. But I'm younger you than I'm the youngest. You're the youngest? Okay. Cool. Damn right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if you look at people who are like, you know, 40 plus, a lot of times Return of the Jedi gets mentioned as being the weakest one because that was kind of, uh, it was great while we watched it. And then whenever we were the kids. Yeah. You That's know, why we and, loved it. We were a little kid. Well, kids. As, as a lot of times, you know, you look back at something that you like as a kid, and you're like, oh, that's that was kid, kid shit. But it was actually yeah. a good movie. Outside of the Ewoks, uh, they could have done, like if they had today's special effects, it could have been maybe a little bit cooler, do a live action with some CGI maybe. But outside of, I mean, you know, a lot of older people would think uh, Return is uh, the weakest one, but I, I, you know, I, I think uh, Attack of the Clones for sure. I've been, um, Sorry, good. I I forgot what I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> well, while he's thinking about it, I wanted to I wanted to incorporate something to this show because uh, we're we're about to hit the two hour mark. Just to let you know. Awesome. Um, 
when I closed down breaking the fourth wall for a while and I started up a different podcast called Realm of the Mist Podcast and we would still bitch about movies and stuff like that, I uh, we we ended the show in a certain segment and I think the segment might be good for surviving the storm because I think it would fit in with like giving giving people something to think about when the show's over. And what it was is at the end of the show, we would always choose the movie of the week, in which case we would recommend each of us would pick, come up with a movie and recommend it for people to check out uh, for that week, you know, or whatever. And I think, I don't know, I, I wanted to propose it to you guys. Maybe we should incorporate that to Surviving the Storm to give people something to watch while they're waiting for us to come back on. What do you I guys think? I would advise uh, binge watching I would advise uh, binge-watching a TV show. Uh, well, we could do uh, TV yeah, shows or whatever, but, like, you know, just give our personal recommendations. Check, <sighs> Go check this out, and maybe we'll talk about it next week, you know, or something. I watched a very funny movie the other night, and uh, have, have either of you seen a movie with Rob Schneider called Big Stan? No. I can't say I have. No, I haven't. I laughed very hard at this movie. <laughs> big, big, big Stan came out in 2007. I don't know how I missed it. It's about a, it's about a sleazy developer who's going to go to prison in six months, and he's worried about getting raped. So he hires David Carradine to live at his house to teach him how to be a badass, and then he goes to prison. It's called Big Stan, like Stanley Big Stan. Didn't it's they do fun. something similar with that? Uh, with like. I want to say Will Ferrell or or no 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 the skinny the, the real skinny kid the real skinny kid from uh, from fucking uh, uh, Z Nation the big nose real skinny kid I can't think of his he was also yeah, the, he the, was the new guy he was uh, he was part of uh, road no, trip actually, movies was, uh, they could have I don't know he just they had to teach him he, he's terrified of getting raped in prison so he actually hires David Carradine who's like this chain smoking martial arts master. And teaches them all school stuff, and he goes into prison and ends up being like the baddest dude in there. But it, the dynamics is funny, and there's a whole, there's a really significant story when he gets to prison. But it's just really, really funny. I mean, Rob Schneider's taking karate with little kids originally, and he's like <laughs> thinking about how to toughen up and all that. And he's, he, he, it's just, it's a funny movie. It, it was very, and it's funny because, like I said, it came out in 2007. And I'm looking at the cast, Henry Gibson, Carradine. There's a lot of people who are dead that are in it. But if you like, if you just want to laugh, a really good laugh, that's that's a good one. Uh, if if we're doing the if we're doing the recommendations now, I'll throw out uh, my my wife and I just finished watching it, so might as well throw it out there. The Shield. Oh yeah, the Shield is good. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I remember you talking about that the other night. <coughs> So I would I would highly recommend if you want something to binge for the week, sit down and watch the Shield. Great, great show. All right, so we got Big Stan and we got the Shield. You what you got, man? Uh, you need to give me a minute because I'm gonna throw out something weird and I need to figure out what the hell I'm gonna say. So you go first. <coughs> okay. Uh, so I would highly suggest to everybody that you watch on uh, what your F and binge. Uh, our top rated series of all time is Peaky Blinders. We consider that to be the greatest uh, <coughs> binge-watching series. That, along with um, The Office. <laughs> so, I mean, for for me, it's I, I'm I'm a weird person. I watch weird stuff. This isn't anything new. 
Chris has known me long enough. He knows this. Yeah, I was about to say, um, in other news, water is wet. exactly so i mean for me i've been jumping between live action shows and anime for the last two weeks i've been i rewatched my hero academia recently and it still holds up fantastically i'm waiting for the rest of that season to drop um but another thing that i actually recently repicked up stargate sg1 the original, not the, not the spinoffs, not Atlantis, not the other one, the original SG-1. I, I'm starting with the original back up again. I might, I'll might, i definitely go to Atlantis eventually, because Atlantis was good, too. Atlantis was very good. I will not touch Universe, because I know that's a dumpster fire in and of itself. I, I actually um, visited the set of the original Stargate film back in 1993. Oh jeez! I saw. I, I didn't even know what it, what they were filming, and then I was invited out to the set, and it was filmed outside of Yuma, Arizona. And incidentally, that's also the same area where they filmed the uh, the, the Sarlacc thing in, in, in Jedi. That was Jabba's. Yuma is a town called Yuma, Arizona, and you could see the big round thing off of the road, you know. But uh, yeah, I never saw the movie, so but I'll check it out though. It sounds good. You know. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's a great science picture, fiction film, or film and TV show. It's different from Star Trek and Star Wars, and that's part of the reason why I think it did as well as it did. You know, it's funny because you, you, you just brought into my mind something that I could propose to you guys. Uh, of course, I hear great things about SG-1 all the time. And, of course, we, we had the discussion last time, Chris and I did, about uh, the rebooted uh, Battlestar Galactica. And in my personal opinion, I think it's better than the original, although the original is still a classic in its own right. But, you know, two series I'm thinking of that nobody ever mentions uh, science fiction uh, ser- TV series that nobody ever seems to mention. I want to get your guys' opinions on them. Farscape and Babylon 5. Never watched Farscape. I've heard of it. I never actually sat down to watch it. I've tried to watch Babylon 5. It does nothing for me. Or thinking about it now, uh, Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda with Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> I'll throw that one in there too. <laughs> Disappointed. Sorry, I, I, I. That's the only thing I ever think of when I think of Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> <laughs> nah, would you cla- would you classify some shows like Knight Rider to be a science fiction show? So that yeah, that is actually a science fiction show. It's listed in IMDb as uh, science fiction um, and action. And we had we had great shows back then. The eighteen, oh dude, we had great shows. Yeah, on the uh, what's your f and binge fan group page, we have a poll going on right now on voting for a show from the seventies, eighties, or nineties for us to retrograde because we basically reviewed TV series. And so um, we have uh, Cheers as a front runner, Mash. Ooh, Mash, Mash is yeah. definitely a. Uh... Uh, uh, we also have Friends as a front runner. Sanford and Son as a uh, front runner, um, and then uh, Saved by the Bell and Charmed. Those are the uh, theories that are uh, getting. Oh, and uh, yeah, Charmed and Buffy the ba- Vampire Slayer. It, it got uh, it's got some uh, mentions in there too. But yeah, those are uh, Night Court. Uh, Night Court. Now we're talking. There yeah, we Night go. With John Larroquette and fucking. Uh, you know, Anderson Russia. and all those guys. Marky Post, she was a babe back in those days. She was a fucking smoke show, dude. God, now you have me thinking about it. Welcome back, Cotter. 
<laughs> well, you know what's funny is did did you were Chris, did I send you Suze Lanier Brennett from The Hills Have Eyes? No. You were no, supposed to, but you haven't no. yet. Yeah. Okay, well I'll send you guys your contact info. Before she did the Hill, the Hills Have Eyes, she was on Welcome Back Connor's buddy, John Travolta's girlfriend. Nice. That's what's up. Yeah. All I right. thought yeah, no, and then I I thought for sure I I, I lose track of stuff. When Richard, now I sent you Richard Karn, right from Home Improvement. You did. Uh, yeah, that did. was that was when I had a co-host uh, who no longer is with the company. Okay. He did. He did, did the interview, did... so I never got a chance to actually sit down and talk to him. Uh, Richard Karn. When I first met Richard Karn, we had a phone call. So we, we we got on a phone call. We talked, and I'm telling Richard Karn, you know, I was booking on on a show in New York, just like I said, you know, booking an interview. And we had a great conversation. He said, you haven't asked me about home improvement. I said, yeah, I never watched it. I said, what? Oh, I never, never watched it. He said, why not? I said, no, no, I gave him my reason. I said, look, I'm aware of who you are. I'm aware of the show. It was on Friday night, and I was in high school. Do you honestly think? He said, no, that's that's cool. He said, I said, so I'll never ask you a fan question. <laughs> so uh, it, it's so he loved that. So I've never... You know, I, I'm I'm aware, and he's a real Karn's a real really nice guy. Another another friend of mine is a guy named Stan Livingston, who was on My Three Sons. He was Chip Douglas, and Stan was on that thing for 13 years. But I, I, I there's shows that I miss. Like I said, that I wish were they could make nowadays. But anything Norman Lear made probably be shut down in a minute. I never watched Friends. You're not missing anything. <laughs> I hate to agree, but yeah, it's uh definitely it definitely does not hold up well. That's for damn. no, it does not. Do you guys remember the show V? Yeah, I oh, remember yeah. V. Roddy Piper, yeah, yeah, that was cool. No, no, uh, no. Piper. Oh, the television show. I'm thinking of yeah, Piper. yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, see, yeah. That's all right. I was just thinking. Dumpster. I was just thinking. Fucking uh, Tales from the Dark Side. That was a, dude. That was a great show. That was <laughs> the intro was creepy. It was great. I remember the uh, Amazing Stories was a great show too. Friday the Thirteenth, the series, and Nightmare on Elm Street, the series. I never saw Nightmare on Elm Street. Saw Friday the Thirteenth, and it was funny because no Jason Voorhees, just some hunting down, you know, creepy stuff. No, no, no. The TV series had nothing to do with Jason at all. No, no, not no, at all. Not at all. Yeah. But but it was him hunting down stuff. My friend C.J. Graham was in Friday the 13th Part 6. He was uh, he was Jason Voorhees in that film. Right. And uh, he, he's talking about how they might make another one. Uh, and he, he, when he was telling me how they were doing it, I'm like, that's ingenious because it's something they've never done before. But no, there's a lot of good shows. I, I, I wish like people in their 20s could go back and revisit some of these shows. They're really great. Well, as a person in his 20s... <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, I, a you lot of fucking young that, fuck. Oh, kiss my ass, old man. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the shows that Chris just rambled off in his poll, the first two right off the bat, Mash and Cheers. I watched that with my father when I was growing up, and even Home Improvement, okay. when I heard that you guys interviewed Richard oh. Kahn, part of me just freaking died on the floor. I would kill for that opportunity. Also, I'll, send you, I'll send you his info if you want to interview him. Well, well, send, it, send it to me, and maybe I'll be nice and let UA actually do the interview on Breaking the Fourth Wall. Well, yeah, I mean, he, 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 Rich, Rich is a real, real nice guy. I, 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 just, I sent him to an autograph show in Florida prior to all you know everything going haywire. But no, he's really nice. And I, uh, my friend Oliver Robbins, who was in Poltergeist, I've been sending him to stuff. He played the son 
you know, and he, he's, it's just, it's just, UA, it's just people I've met in my life, that's all it is, you know, but they're, they're all unique in their own way, they've done cool, they've done cool stuff, but yeah, no, the, the TV shows, I was a huge Twilight Zone fan, didn't get into Outer Limit that much, um, there was a show called Dark Shadows back in the day. Oh, Dark before. Shadows is awesome. And I used to, the head cast of that show, I knew them. And that's Land Lost. I know all Land Lost people. And I'd send them out to interviews. And some of them were really embracing of it. Some of them just hated Um, You know what I want a, re- a current reboot of? Buck Rogers. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Maybe. I guess so. I think I think they can give a modern times to it. I just I just want to beep, beep, beep. What's up, Buck? Like, <laughs> give me the give me the little yeah. robot back. I, I forget wanna, his I name. See a re- I want to see a Twinkie. Twinkie, thank you, the Twinkie. Do, do you guys remember a TV show called BJ and the Bear? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a cool show. No, I want to see a remake of Six Million Dollar Man. I would like to see a reboot or or just a. Um, or maybe they just pick it up again of Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap was a great show. I, I hear that one all the time. They really yeah. they really do need to give Got a proper ending. They, they didn't give yeah. us one. Yeah, they, they really need to give it a proper ending. And, yeah, do a seven-series, uh, seven-episode little mini-ending in, or a mini-series of it and wrap it up right. Fuck yeah. Well, I got a... Uh, so I've got a conversation for for next show. I I got one that we could all think about. Give us a, a couple days or a week, whatever, to, whenever we decide to do the next show. Uh, something to think about: the return of Saturday morning cartoons. Hey, that kind yeah. of sounds like a topic that we're going to run on my new podcast once Keith gets his voice back. <laughs> so, but, actually, Chris, if you don't mind, can I just plug that podcast for you real quickly? Oh God, Go if, I, if you must. Actually, it's not my show. This isn't Realm of the Mist, just because I'm oh. I'm recording it. This is this is Chris's show. You got to talk to him. You're good, bro. Go ahead, run with it. <laughs> I, it'll be a thirty second plug, and then I drop it. Yeah, man, you're cool. So the concept of it is it's called East versus West. We're taking concepts that were huge in the East in Japan and China, like, you know, the movies featuring kaiju, anime, uh, for Keith, um, Kamen Rider, and Super Sentai, and how it compared to out here in the West in America, in Canada, in England, so on and so forth. So when I hear you mention that just now, it... Something that I wanted to do was okay. How does Saturday morning cartoons compare from Japan over here in America when you compare anime to American-made cartoons to see how they would differ? I think it just depends on the cartoon. Exactly. They're wildly different. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, you can't you can't compare like you know. I know it's not an actual Japanese. It, it it's from Japanese anime, but I mean, like you can't compare Pokemon, for example, to Gummy Bears. No, they're two completely very, different very, style. Very true. Very you true. Know. <laughs> you can't even you can't even compare Super Friends to whatever. You know. I mean, right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so it it, well, it really depends on how you narrow that down. But I mean, is there is there a classic '80s Saturday morning version of Japanese cartoons? I mean, is that Transor Z? I'm sorry, what was that? Transor Z. Transor Z. That would be the only comparison. Well, well, wasn't 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 uh, Voltron? 
I think Voltron. Tron. I think Voltron was late '80s, and you also had uh, Star Blazers. Okay. Uh, you have Robotech. Robotech. You have Thundercats. Was Thundercats an anime? Japanese. That wasn't Japanese. No, it wasn't Japanese. I take that back. Uh, what what was what, well, so, Silverhawks, and then and 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 um, what was the one? Uh, do you guys remember a show called Lone Star? Sounds familiar. I remember, I remember Lone Star. Yeah. Yeah. yeah somebody's. Yeah. I, I didn't know. It's. Uh, oh. Uh, Chris, if in Philly, uh, I talked to Jack Lawrence yesterday, and he asked about you. And he said, "I." I'm living well, Jack. If you're watching this video, or if you watch this video at any point, he man. Probably, he probably is. Uh, nice. He's. he's Jack, um, I'm doing. I'm doing great. And of course, you know, anytime you want to come back on. Uh, I promise I won't kneel before Zod. I, no. Yeah, Chris. I had, I had, I had, to, I had to make the Superman reference. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't have me whacked. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. UA, UA. One of my closest friends is a guy named Jack O'Halloran. He was in Superman one and two. He was one of the. Uh, he was Zod's henchman. Non. Yes, I. I'm very familiar with the actor, and I'm very familiar with the movies, so I know exactly who you're talking about. His story is about, he's a great guy. guy, his story is about his disdain for Christopher Reeve. He will tell you blatantly how he didn't like Christopher Reeve when they're making <laughs> which, which must have a little leaves. bit of issue yeah. because I'm actually a huge Christopher Reeve fan. No, I no, actually no, no. did a research he, project on him in high school. He's not, no, here's, here's, here's he'll tell you, here's what it is. I put Jack on so many of these and he just talks. He's got a very interesting story besides the Superman films and Dragon and so on. King Kong, he, he, they took Christopher Reeve, who was basically just a stage actor, he went to Juilliard, really amazing guy, but mm -hmm. they dropped him, they dropped, you gotta take this into consideration, they made him beef up, they drop him, they make him the lead of a movie where you're with Marlon Brando, you look at the cast of original Superman, it's insane. Terrence my Stamp, friend, my, yeah. My friend Jeff East played the Clark Kent character in the original Superman, and Jeff said that, uh, Christopher Reeve wanted to play his part as a teenager, and they're like, no, no, you're too old. And so they dubbed Jeff's voice with Christopher's voice. That's not Jeff's voice, it's Christopher's voice. But um, he, he looked like him at the time. And, but uh, he Christopher Reeve believed a lot of his own press, and there was a disagreement he had with Jack, and Jack almost locked his lights out one time. And there was a very, you know, and he... he he, when Richard Donner got uh, fired, they brought in Richard Lester. Um, he thought Reeves would step up to the plate and be like, "No, no, you can't." Let it, it, but he he will tell you that there's only one person who can play Superman. That was Reeves, mm -hmm. and he 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 said, "Look, he, they 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 became friends, but at the time they were not friends." Yeah. And something interesting um, when they were doing Superman two. Terrence Stamp used to bitch out Sarah Douglas and Jack all the time, like Zod. He'd be in his character. Where the hell are you? And like, he would be really menacing. And me and Jack did an autograph show in, in, at the, the Hollywood show uh, over by uh, the West in L.A. And Jack would have people coming up and they, you know, do a picture by an autograph. They said, "You know, you scared the hell out of me when I was a kid, man. But I was fascinated by you." And Jack said, well, you know, if, if you watch the movie now as an adult, you realize he's just big and menacing, 
Mm. It's really, it's really Terrence Stamp. That's that's a scary one. Oh, he's absolutely. Not physically imposing, but he's he's a megalomaniac. You know, he's you know vicious, and that's well. The, it's funny how I present. It's funny because the best way I would describe Nod is exactly if you guys remember from earlier when I was talking about the Baby Stewie wrestling gimmick. That's really what Nod was. Nod was big and scary. He was a big buff creature. Yeah. He had a childlike innocence to him. <laughs> Yes, he really did, like, <laughs> Nod, Nod was yeah, pretty much a character, yeah. uh, Nod was very much a character who had, like, innate curiosity, like, uh, the first scene I always think of when I think of Nod is, uh, him trying to figure out how to burn the, the, the charred snake. Like, when he watched, well, when he watched, the, when yeah. he watched the girl, when yeah. he watched the girl cook it, and then they all walk away, and he picks up the thing, and he's just like, mm-hmm. And he couldn't get it to fully work the way she did, <laughs> but he was just, it, there was there was a childlike comedy to it. Like, how do you do that? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's what it was. Yeah. He was learning, and and the story, the backstory Jack told me was that Non was uh, was a a scientist who had a lobotomy, and that's why he was he was you know he was the muscle and all that. But he very. He liked, there was an old Jackie uh, Cooper movie, and he played a mute called Gigo, and that's why Jack wanted to play a mute. And Jack has played a mute in that, and he was the villain and the hero and the terror. And I swear to God, this one guy walked up and said, oh my God, I didn't know you could speak. He said, of course I could speak. He said, well, I've never heard you talk. He said, well, you've seen my other movies. He's really, the Superman movies, he said that they have been talking for years. He said it probably won't happen in his lifetime. But as you guys know, going back to Star Wars, how they could CGI things, he said they were talking about doing a full Christopher Reeve Superman movie. Wow. Oh, jeez. That, I think it would, I think it would bomb. I don't, I don't think it's a good idea. Not because I think it would bomb, I think it's kind of along the lines of, uh, you know, the, the Tarkin syndrome with Rogue One, although Rogue One was a phenomenal movie. I don't think it's a good idea to bring back dead actors i i don't because i think uh, no, it, even it, if you even if you do it, it respectfully it, you know it, it just feels wrong yeah yeah it definitely well, does doing a post post-mortems movie of somebody where they start well, jack, jack, jack does jack doesn't jack doesn't like um jack doesn't like the new superman movies well, well, yeah, I mean, here, I can understand that. Here, here's where my problem with that would come into play. I, I love, I love the original Superman movies. I grew up on those. They were a big part of me in that age. I do not feel like Christopher <coughs> Reeves' Superman would work in today's society. I don't know. I, 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 probably, pro- pro- probably, probably not. I don't. I don't know. I I hate to disagree with you, but I think if you were to play, especially like when you look at the to, to use an example, the CW uh, Arrowverse going on right now, where they play, where yeah, they've been, where they where they really been playing into the uh, uh, multiverse scenarios. You, I think there is a world where the Christopher Reeve style Superman and the Adam West style Batman could exist in in this uh, franchise and be accepted. I just think you have to. Put it as one of the multiverse Earths. Well, yeah, and yeah. here, you know what? I'll use your exact example. Going back to the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover that they did at the end of last year, 
they brought back Brandon Rove's version of Superman from when he did Superman Returns. And they decided to make him essentially transition from Christopher Reeve's version of it to his version. And then in the crossover, they decided to have him do his rendition of the Kingdom Come Superman. Right. Now, if you were to tell me that you wanted to introduce Christopher Reeve's version of Superman as a crossover version of it, do I feel like that would work as, like... A brief clip it absolutely i think that it would make great on the nostalgia factor i think that it would it would definitely bring a lot to the table but i don't feel like you could do it for longer than like say a few few moments i guess i have to go fellas listen this was fun i don't normally do these but this was great thank you all very Steven, much thanks Thanks for your time, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thanks for coming I, on, man. No, this was this was cool. I don't really do these things, you know, that often. But uh, be well, and uh, you know, we used to say be careful out there, but I, I guess be careful in there. You know, and, <laughs> stay home. <laughs> and and, and, and I want to. I need to do a couple PSAs. If you are not a handyman, don't screw around with electronic electrical items, and you know. Don't try to do something out of normally because I'm I'm worried. I you know what I'm worried about? I'm worried about like domestic accidents right now. I'm worried about someone like you know what? I had to just rewire the whole. You know I'm I'm worried about that sort of thing. People getting bored no, and just fucking with electro bond wires. That's that's fair actually. I completely <laughs> agree. You can't tell me. You guys can't tell me it's somewhere oh, right now. Like, somebody is trying to hang a television like on the ceiling or something. People are redecorating stuff. People were thinking of things that normally they shouldn't be thinking about, and I'm, I guarantee you someone's like, you know, we could take this big screen and just uh, just be careful out there, guys. Helm accidents, it's where a lot of the bad, bad things happen. Oh, don't worry, honey. Don't worry, honey. I'm only hooking your vibrator up to a 220 line, so that way you get the extra power out of it. You see that? <laughs> <laughs> this kicks in doesn't mean anything. So. <laughs> No, you're not wrong though. People, people, people do stupid things when they get bored. So yeah, guys, be be conscientious of what you do. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, fellas, be well. Thank Absolutely. You very much. Yep. And I think you, I think that's our cue to end this one too. <laughs> yeah, that's a good natural wrap. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, thank you. Thank yep. you. Of course, you can find everybody at their respective things. You can just check out the groups that you've seen this video on. And, of course, we'll be releasing the uh, the replays for you guys on YouTube and on Anchor and all the likes. So, of course, like, care, share, comment, subscribe. And finally, last but not least, go wash your fucking hands. Next week, we've been wearing colors and shapes. Yay! <laughs> but, can, but can the round peg go into the square hole, square blue hole? Right. Hey, if oh, you yeah. try hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> let me go. Let me go get that two twenty vibrator. I'm sure I can make it. <laughs> 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 Have a good one, guys. <laughs>